Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, 10K Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, it is Thanksgiving weekend, so could you just open us up real quick with a Thanksgiving pro tip from yours truly? Wow, being put on the spot a little bit here. I have no Thanksgiving That's, pro tips. You other have no than pro tips? I find that Don't hard drink to too much. Uh, be thankful for what you have and don't always look towards what you don't have. I would say be appreciative of those around you and take time to say it out loud because I think that us, uh, particularly us as men, are not good at thanking and being appreciative openly and vocally vocally of those around us. And so sometimes you got to just sit down and you got to say it, look people in the eyes and uh, let them know that uh, you're appreciative and thankful. And I am thankful for the Peristyle subscribers and the people that have supported the site over the 20 years that I've been a part of the site. Uh, we always thank you, you know, in the war room. And I always try to be appreciative on the message boards of those who uh, have been there and supported Ryan and myself and now Chris and Shotgun and the entire staff over the years. Uh, Dan Weber, who is a part of the staff for many years. I'm thankful for working with all of those professionals, all of those individuals that have made the job a joy and uh, and certainly uh, the fan base that has been able to support us and, and, and give us all a career and being able to do something that we enjoy doing. Wow, that was very uh, wholesome. And I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to be like, brine your turkey two days before. But no, you went full on <laughs> in the fields, man. I'll admit, I don't do the turkey. It's not mine. To do. It's my, my sister and my brother-in-law and my dad. And they always take that over. I don't really cook a whole lot unless it's like, you know, involves a microwave. So uh, truth be told, yeah, I don't I don't have any real pro cooking tips for you guys out there. Yeah, I was like looking for like toast your own breadcrumbs for your mac and cheese but no he went right to the fields gerard uh, always keeping me on my toes i really appreciate that but it is thanksgiving week so we did want to put out an episode this week uh, there's a lot to talk about you can listen to this episode while you're avoiding your family that is in town you could put this on while you're struggling in the kitchen to peel all those potatoes. I'm a skin on the potatoes kind of guy for my mashed potatoes. Just saying, just saying. But, you know, this could be a very hearty distraction from what is usually a chaotic week uh, in a lot of households. But we wanted to put something out there despite it being a holiday week because we are always on the grind. But things we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the remaining targets in the 2023 class because we're winding down on this 2023 cycle. We had a couple of notes 
uh, that we want to hit on that have happened over the course of this week that involve USC recruiting. Uh, a little more updates on decommitment season, some transfer portal updates. We got some big updates for the college football coaching carousel. You know, we got some Week 12 scores to look at. We have a very uh, full USC versus UCLA recruiting angle. And, get, and we're going to get Gerard's thoughts on the win as a whole uh, over the Bruins. We got some Friday night lights. We were both at games. Friday night schedule, which is coming to a close, actually, because this is the end of the high school football season, or, well, just about for everyone else uh, in California. We've got some big Week 14 rivalry games. Uh, we got some listener questions, including a voicemail. So there is tons and tons to get to. But before I do that, I have to thank the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits podcast. That is Meredith Schlosser, the best real estate agent in Southern California. And I can put my money on that. I am very thankful for Meredith Schlosser and her team because I'm a client of Meredith and her team. I've spoken about it on this podcast before, but they helped me find my new house, moved out of my apartment into a house, stepping on up. I am renting. Yes, I do not own yet, maybe in a couple of years, but I'm very thankful for them. And Jeremy Hensley, shout out to him, uh, the house god, for helping me find a new place. And I'm just very happy. I'm in a big house now. I can host a bunch of people, especially for the holidays, have my mom in town. So I'm very thankful for what they were able to do. It helped me. You know, Meredith is grossed over $600 million in sales and has amassed more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. 200 five-star Zillow reviews. That is an impressive number. She is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. That's not Southern California. That's not the West Coast. That is the nation. And I recently heard a listener of this podcast actually reached out to Meredith and her team. And I just got to say, applause to you because you just made the smartest decision you could make when it comes to your housing future and going with Meredith Schlosser and her team. I, I applaud you to the listener who did that. They're probably listening right now. So congrats to you. You can find more information about Meredith at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. You can check out her business Instagram account, account at Meredith Real Estate. So thank you so much to Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits podcast. Gerard, I just did a lot of talking, but we got a lot more talking ahead of us as we jump in to the cold open. And it's basically just a look at what's left on USC's recruiting board. You know, they have 20 commits right now. Lincoln has said earlier this year that, you know, around mid-20s is what they're looking for for this high school class. You know, very different from last year's high, high school class, which was only seven coming in late uh, with the hiring process or at the end of the, uh, you know, November and didn't have a ton of time to make up a lot of ground in that high school class in 2022. So relied more on the portal. Still going to hit the portal this offseason. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But still a couple of uh, several spots open in this 2023 class. So I just wanted to take a look at the remaining board, which is a lot smaller than it was, you know, 
six months, eight months ago. And I think it's just a good rehash for where we're at right now. So, Gerard, do you want to do it or do you just want me to jump right into it? There's quite a few players to still talk about. I think, um, you know, we'll talk about the top of the board. And the top of the board, it really has a local flair. I mean, it's the guys that I think you want to close with are mostly within your region. It is further establishing your recruiting territory and putting up that fence, not just necessarily around Southern California, but around the Western region. So, you know, keeping these guys home to some extent, because when you're talking about the Arizona prospects and USC has had much better results in Arizona, they've recruited Arizona much harder this recruiting cycle than they did under Clay Helton or or even under Lane Kiffin. So I think that's kind of where you start. And, and, And certainly at the top of the board, and we've spoken about him many times he's been a part of the recruiting angle pieces that we do weekly many times and that's St. John Bosco five-star edge rusher Mateo Ungulale now this is a this is a tough read because I think early on we felt like his relationship with Sean Nua um, his father's relationship with Sean Nua the feeling like his family would like to see him play closer to home that his recruitment was a bit different than DJ Ungulale's where DJ was kind of strictly about football, wanting to get away from home. Uh, He he kind of wanted to get away from the family and the hype and everything that was around his recruitment and going to Clemson did that for him. He didn't have sort of the off the field interests that Mateo has. And Mateo's off the field interests are revolving around uh, the music industry and Young Concrete, uh, the moniker pseudonym that he goes by uh, as a DJ. He wants to be involved with this and certainly that plays a big part in and is an advantage for USC entertainment just in general having the networking and being in LA there's no other school that comes anywhere close to it it's just you know unless you're like playing a banjo or you want to do some contemporary uh country music and you could maybe go into Nashville but there's nowhere else where you're going to find the studios the professionals um, just the industry itself is so alive and it's so important to be able to be in Los Angeles if you're taking that part of your life seriously after football or parallel to football. So, you know, early on, we felt like Mateo Angale, you know, USC did a really good job getting back into it. I mean, becoming relevant in his recruitment again, because A, they weren't really that relevant in DJ's recruitment. And, and part of that was their own choice. USC had gotten Bryce Young as a commitment early on, and they sort of, you know, they they went all in on Bryce Young. And obviously that didn't work out for them, but that also meant that they didn't have much relationship with DJ and therefore didn't really have Mateo around as much as probably he could have been. That ship was righted when Sean Newell was brought on and they got Mateo on campus uh, numerous, numerous times over the spring. And we get through the summer and he takes his official visits. And it was sort of at the end of July and August where we started hearing, you know what? Ohio State is his leader. Now, now why is Ohio State his leader? Well, because, you know, he knows Ohio State to be a big time football program. So now football has become maybe a bigger factor than we thought originally. And Ohio State has been named the leader uh, by a, a few sources ever since then. And it's kind of been USC trying to kind of stay around, continuing to win 
building more momentum. Now, interestingly enough, we spoke to him just this past weekend. And Jared Perez, five stars only, uh, USC intern, went down and, and chatted with uh, Mateo. And he's actually been to a couple of his games. So he's chatted to with him a few times and also talked to his dad. And the vibe was he was a little aloof about whether he was going to be uh, on campus for an unofficial visit to USC this weekend for the Notre Dame game. Now, remember, he went to Notre Dame and watched Notre Dame beat Clemson. His brother plays for Clemson. So he wasn't really there for Notre Dame. But we thought maybe it'd be interesting to see him, you know, at USC to watch, you know, them play Notre Dame, having seen uh, what Notre Dame did to Clemson. Uh, but kind of wasn't really sure if the game was this weekend or next weekend or what have you. And I don't know if that just says, you know, he's not really focused on recruiting like that, because obviously they've got a championship game coming up against modern day. They're in the middle of the playoffs. And it's understandable if that's where his focus is. Or is it just he's not feeling USC that much? He is probably going to take a visit to Georgia. We're not 100% sure when that's going to happen, if that's going to be an official visit, or if he was just going to go down there for the LSU game, which will be at the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. So that would not be an official visit. That's a neutral field, so neither of those teams are going to be able to have official visits during the SEC championship game. But he might be able to go there just unofficially because. So we'll see how that all plays out here uh, the next few weeks. But at this point, if he's looking to take visits to other schools, still it tells you that he's not sold on USC. He's still kind of keeping the door open. And USC is going to have to close, and they're going to have to close strong. I think they're within striking distance of doing that. I think they can do that for sure. But it tells me that there's still work to be done on that front. And he's obviously a big time player for them. He's one of the few big bodies on the defensive line, a guy that could play on the interior. Um, there's just not any five-star guys on USC's board right now, which are at that level. So that's a big deal. So that's kind of the first guy, the most important guy. Then you have the two Arizona players. And like I said, Top of the board's kind of uh, a little bit more local than it's you know going out across the country and trying to land uh, players from Texas or players from Florida, which is a good thing. I mean, that's kind of what you want. You want to be able to close with guys you have a good relationship with. And Juice Robinson, the five-star tight end from Phoenix, Arizona, is one of them. And Caleb Lamu, the four-star offensive tackle from Gilbert, Arizona, is the other. And both of those guys are players that have been on campus at USC. Numerous times, uh, Deuce Robinson already took his official visit to USC during the summer. He was a part of the Golden Hour. Caleb Lamu is yet to take an official visit to USC. He was supposed to take his official visit to USC this weekend, but they're still in the Arizona playoffs. And from what I'm being told, I don't think USC is going to have any official visitors on campus for the Notre Dame game. I think they're focused on this week. They want to beat Notre Dame, and they don't want to have recruiting be a distraction for them. So normally traditionally at least, we've seen USC make the Notre Dame game or the UCLA game, depending on which is the home game at the end of the year, a big recruiting weekend. It's the one weekend where they know that the atmosphere is going to be good. They feel confident that they're going to win at home and they bring in, you know, six or seven guys. That's not going to happen this year. I mean, it looked like all of the remainder commitments in the 2023 class that had not visited, we're going to visit this week, but that's now off. And I, I mean, I just talked to a couple guys uh, over the weekend, late last week, and they were all planning on being at USC for official visits, but that does not appear to be happening. And Caleb Lamu, if he takes a visit to USC officially, it's probably going to happen in December. 
And the interesting thing about that is he could want to make a decision before then. So December 10th is looking like it's going to be a big recruiting weekend for USC. That will be after the Pac-12 championship game. We'll see, you know, where they are at that point. They, they could lose these next two games, lose some momentum on the recruiting trail. They could win these next two games and have a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail, probably going to the college football playoff. We really don't know. You know, these next two games are really going to be uh, pretty impactful in terms of what kind of momentum they have on the field. And certainly trying to parlay that into a big recruiting weekend. And, by the way, the opening of the transfer portal. So we're going to see what happens right now, I think, with Caleb Lamu. It's USC and Utah with Deuce Robinson. I, I think it's still USC and Georgia. I know there's some people who felt like, oh, well, he had a really good visit to Texas. I, I still think it's USC and Georgia for Deuce Robinson. And again, I think with Deuce Robinson, just like with Mateo Ungulale, there's some work that has to be done to close in on that recruitment. Um, the other local player that's at the top of the board that USC wants to close with is Roger Pleasant, four-star quarterback out of Sarah High School in Gardena, track star, a guy that's been to USC more than a lot of the committed recruits in the class. He just made an official visit up in Oregon, really liked it, really liked all the track facilities. Oregon is working him hard. They, they want him badly. They want all of those Sarah players badly. Jason Mitchell, um, Dakota Fields, the two juniors that they have at Sarah, they've been recruiting them really, really hard. So they're trying to get their foot in the door at Sarah, and Roderick Pleasant is obviously going to be the first swing at that. You know, you, he's been USC's to lose for a very long time. He's talking like maybe he's not going to take an official visit to USC. I'm not really sure if that's a good thing for USC. You, you kind of want those kids to go through that official visit process just because it's a little bit different than the unofficial visit process. But, you know, he feels like it's close. He's been to USC enough. He's seen everything he needs to see. I think ultimately the sign is if he takes that official visit, to USC, and it's like December 10th, because it's probably not going to be this weekend, uh, that's going to be a sign that, yeah, I think it's USC still to lose, and they can close the deal on that official visit weekend. If he doesn't take an official visit, then I think it's a little bit more open-ended, and uh, Oregon is is making a bit of a move there. Um, and I guess, let's see, that's kind of the, the, the end of like the local players. I think the guys that... That's like tier one. Yeah, kind of like this is the successful, you feel good about recruiting, you lock those guys up. That's a very solid class. It's a class that puts you in the top 10. Um, I don't know if it quite gets you top five with that class. I I have to do the the calculations. And obviously, there's other schools that are going to have other commitments. And, you know, normally when you're looking at the number one class in the nation, traditionally, annually, that is in the like 300 307 points or something that's kind of the range that it usually is and so you know you have to kind of look at that more than just where everybody is right now I mean you can look where everybody is right now but again they're going to be more commitments to other schools other schools are going to have higher ratings people are going to lose commitments or going to be decommitments USC may even have a decommitment or two we don't know what's going to happen so that will shift a little bit and as we said the last few podcasts that we have the transfer portal could definitely shake things up as well. As you see transfers starting to go to schools and some of these transfers maybe being guys that are, you know, big enough names that could scare off some 
recruits that are committed in some of these classes. So that's the that's sort of the 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 focus. The guys that USC has a good shot at, the guys that USC are like top one or two for, and are really working for. Then there's sort of like the other guys, right? The other you know a lot of the the sort of um, out of state guys and. I don't know, break break some of these down, Chris, because you know, you've had conversations here with a few of these late offers, you know, guys like uh Ryland Kennedy, um, Tyler Scott, uh CJ Blocker. Kind of talk about maybe that second group of guys that still have not taken official visits to USC, but potentially still have a pretty good shot at. Yeah, and just to keep going with my tier analogy, you kind of mentioned those guys who are at the top, you know, guys you feel good about or the higher end guys and these guys that I'm about to talk about are guys that, you know, for the most part, you made a late offer to these guys. Well, relatively late. You know, these weren't guys you offered when they were a freshman or a sophomore in high school. These are guys that you offered within the last six months. You offered them either in the middle of their fall season or a guy who got hot with some offers and you jumped on. Or in one case, you know, a guy you offered right before the season started. So, A lot of these guys are just sort of those new faces that we're still trying to get to know, see how they fit in to, you know, the foundation of this class. Some of them are maybe just filler guys, you know, some of that that mortar of the brick and mortar guys that you uh, mentioned uh, above. But, you know, four star cornerback out of Texas, CJ Blocker, that's a guy who I feel like on this list, USC is in the best case scenario for is a guy who seems really, really interested in the Trojans. He's going to visit at some point and still trying to lock down that date. But you also have three-star edge rusher Elijah Hughes, you know, as we know, took an official visit to the Trojans earlier this year, got him on campus. That was a big one in terms of, you know, getting him all the way from Virginia. We knew Virginia Tech was a team that was the school to be for them. You know, Elijah's the guy who does not really do interviews, so haven't really been able to get a feel for what, you know, that visit did for him in terms of his his uh, his recruitment. But, you know, from what I could tell, USC did a good job on that visit. You know, he liked the visit. His family liked the visit. But in terms of like a personal reflection of it, you know, has been pretty tight lipped about that. More intriguing one, you know, recently, Rylan Kennedy is a guy that was added to the board within the last two weeks. Uh, three-star edge rusher reminds me of kind of uh, Devin Tompkins, a guy who played basketball for most of his high school career and decided to play football his senior year. Uh, very uh, like, very like is not a, is not a great sentence. It's a similar to Devin Tompkins who played basketball all his high school career, decided to play senior, boom, blew up with some offers, and Rylan has been getting. A lot of attention. You know, Auburn recently offered right on the heels of USC. And while he's a three-star edge rusher, you know, he is also a guy that's being recruited by Brian Odom as maybe a guy they try to move inside. He told me that that was the plan for them is to try to move him, you know, inside to outside and, you know, looking like they're trying to find the next uh, Eric Gentry. You know, we talked about it earlier on this podcast, how he's sort of a unicorn, but you can still look for those body types. Kennedy is six foot four, two hundred ten pounds, two inches shorter than Eric Gentry, but still six foot four. And he has that long range and long uh, length, and he's got good tape. I like the tape when I was watching. So he is an intriguing guy that they're pushing to get on campus, uh, and I think that could happen. I, I just been talking to him. I think there's a good chance 
that they that make that happen. I, uh, TCU is a big school for him. I think Auburn's going to get a visit as well. So have to see what's going on with Ryland down the line. And his recruitment is just starting to pick up. A lot of these guys have had their recruitment going on for years. Like Roderick President has been bombarded with schools for years. And Ryland Kennedy just starting right now. So all his recruiting process is being crammed down into you know a span of three and four weeks. And he is a track guy, so there is a chance that he's going to wait to make his decision, you know, not sign in December, so more time for him. But he is an intriguing one at the linebacker uh, position. You have Caleb Bryant out of Vicksburg, Mississippi, three-star defensive tackle, who USC offered in August, and it seemed like they were going to be a player for him. He was a Utah commit, backed off that Utah commitment a couple weeks. Actually, not weeks. I believe it was like a week after he had started to pick up a lot of attention, including the USC offer. And, you know, then it went quiet. I know he was he wanted to take an official visit to USC, to Oregon. Those are two schools that he wanted to make a trip to. You know, Mississippi State is still considered the favorite based on crystal balls. But just seemed like USC was kind of slow playing him a little bit. Not really, you know, putting the gas uh, on his recruitment in terms of, you know, hitting him up, getting him on campus. Like, didn't get him to an unofficially visit this season. But... Now he comes out with the top eight. We'll get into that uh, more uh, in one of our, our notes. But he is a guy who was on the board, you know, kind of in that tier two. Like maybe they circle back, need more defensive line help in this class. He's definitely a guy they can circle back with and go, hey, we're technically in his top eight. You know, we can kind of fight. We know he wanted to take an official visit earlier this year. We're still in there. We can we can circle back and maybe get him on campus for December. Save it for one of those. And then the other one is three-star safety Tyler Scott, who was absolutely blown up with offers, you know, from Alabama to other big SEC schools. And he's a guy that USC is also in the mix to get an official visit in December. I believe there's a really good chance that that's going to happen. And Dante Williams, doing Dante Williams things, they have cultivated multiple options at defensive back. You can tell they can still want at least one more defensive back in this class at most Two, I would assume, with Roderick being number one. And I think they would like another safety to uh, fill the hole that they they lost with their decommitment to Braxton Myers. So here we are. That's kind of the C, excuse me, tier two, not C level. Tier two guys that are kind of, you know, at the bottom of the board, but are guys that can certainly move up depending on how other things shake out with those top guys and the transfer portal. So – and going back into uh, some of the guys you talked to, CJ Blocker still committed to Utah, correct? Yes, correct. He is a Utah commit. So I forgot to point that out. Thank you for uh, jumping in there. So, so the, the second guy that we talked about here that was a Utah commit. So Utah doing a pretty good job valuation wise. They've got mm-hmm. guys early on in their class that you know people are coming after late. And I agree with you. I think CJ Blocker is a guy that USC just really likes. He's got a little bit of a track background. Yeah. So I think that helps a little bit. Something I didn't mention about Roderick Pleasant, which is very, very germane to his recruitment. He is not going to sign uh, in, in December. It, it sounds like he's not going to enroll. So he's looking at the late signing period in February. So, again, you know, we're talking about, you know, does he take that official visit to USC? Uh, doesn't he? He may, you know, he's, he's taken a few official visits. I know I think he went to Boston College, Cal, now Oregon. I think he has two official visits left, and so they may not happen December 10th. They may not happen in December. They could happen in January. We'll just kind of see how that plays out. But he's going to run track again, and this, I think, is the same 
with uh, Nicholas Harbor. We haven't gotten into that group of guys yet, but the guys that are going to run track, they're going to be in school anyway, so they're not looking to sign early and they're not going to enroll early. So that's something to keep in mind uh, with Roderick Pleasant. And so, you know, kind of segueing into that, talking about Nick Harbor, this is kind of the the official visit group that is to be determined. Um, Guys that have talked about officially visiting USC, but are yet to actually have a date for USC at any point in time. So they've said to us, you know, at some point, yeah, you know, USC is a school that I plan on visiting. Okay, when do you think you're going to visit? Not really sure. Haven't set up a date. And then with some of these guys, there's been information that, no, USC is not going to get an official visit. That goes back and forth until you see a a guy on campus sometimes. And certainly with Nick Harbor, the 6'5", 230-pound athlete, five-star out of Washington, D.C., he's a guy that unofficially visited USC when he was out here for the Mount Sac Relays. Really, really liked USC. Loved the track tradition. Had a really good relationship with the coaching staff. Um, you know, his position still remains a bit of a question in terms of whether he's a guy that's going to be a tight end slash maybe a hybrid receiver or a defensive end. And his senior film has been pretty scarce in terms of any type of reinforcement that he can play tight end or receiver, you know, in terms of his ball skills and how he can catch. And I, I've said this before, but receiver is a much more uh, football-centric position than defensive end. As a defensive end, you put your hand on the ground, look at the ball, it's snapped, boom, go get the quarterback, right? And there's going to be some amount of success in doing so, especially when you're 6'5", and you're 235, 240. Um, you're going to be able to make some plays on the defensive side of the ball. Whereas if you're playing receiver, you got to catch the ball. <laughs> I mean, unless you're just going to be a blocking uh, tight end, you got to be able to catch the ball. You got to be able to run routes. Um, you got to do things outside of what you do running a 10 2 uh, in the 100 meters. Now, that's an amazing time. And, and for his size, it's amazing speed. But that's not a cone drill. That's not running a, an out route or running a curl route or seeing the defense on an option route and knowing where to go or blocking. Uh, if you are, you know, playing tight end and you are playing inside, um, you're going to have to 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 fist fight some guys and and get your get your nose, you know, bloodied up a little bit and and be able in this offense particularly to do some lead blocking because the tight ends have been utilized a lot uh, as blockers in this offense and we've seen the run game uh, be so much better because of it. And so those are all questions that I still have about Nick Harbor and certainly I, I know that other schools probably have have those questions as well. It's just one of those things, hey, 6'5", 235, you're running 10-2. Let's just get that guy on campus and see what he can do. Um, Keon Keeley, uh, another sort of could visit, talked about visiting. I think there's less of a chance for him, five-star out of Tampa, Berkeley Prep, uh, that's uh, Nelson Aguilar's old high school. USC just doesn't have those type of connections in Florida right now, and so we haven't really seen them do much in Florida uh, in terms of uh, getting guys on campus and what have you. So I think that's uh, really an outside shot. Denton, Texas, five-star safety, Peyton Bowen, another guy that, you know, we heard a lot of rumblings in the background, potentially could visit. Uh, They were still in contact with him. He's committed to Notre Dame right now. Keon Keeley was committed to Notre Dame and decommitted. Uh, He's been around. He's been to Oklahoma. He was at the Red River Shootout, so on and so forth. So he's been looking at other schools and Texas A&M and Oklahoma were schools that for a while there people thought well that's a done deal he's going to decommit from Notre Dame and he's going to go to 
of those schools, but neither of those programs have been very impressive this season. And so he's still up in the air whether he's going to visit. He's not probably going to be on campus this weekend. Um, I, I heard originally that the, if he was going to take an official visit, Payne Bowen would be on campus for Notre Dame week. And right now that's not happening. So we're going to see. I mean, could be an unofficial visit. Talked about in the past, unofficial visits, official visits, kind of with NIL. You know, there's a little bit more of a blurry line there these days. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But that's another guy that's kind of out there. Another player from Florida that is, I think, a little higher in the list in terms of potential official visit is Jordan Hall. Only because Jordan Hall, the uh, 6'5", 300-pound defensive tackle, four-star, he originally set an official visit to USC for the first week of June. And so he was ready to take an official visit to USC. I think they even sent out the graphic, but then he canceled that visit. And at that point, it felt like, okay, he canceled that visit. He's going to go visit Florida State. He's going to go visit Florida. He's going to end up staying in state. But he canceled all his official visits during the summer. So he really didn't get out to see a whole lot. I think he took an unofficial visit to Florida State at some point. Now he's kind of back into the scheduling visits. Um, You know, Alabama's in there. uh, Florida's in there. Florida State's still in there, obviously. It's going to be tough to get him out of South. We always talk about how difficult, even in the Pete Carroll era, how difficult it was to get defensive linemen, particularly interior defensive linemen, out of the South. But this is a guy that I think USC does have potential to at least get on campus and you know get their foot in the door with him. So Jordan Hall is a guy that I think you would put uh, you know kind of in between that sort of second tier and third tier in terms of you know who the guys and the prospects at USC has a shot at the guys that are on that target list. Um, probably down. You know, at, at the bottom, uh, along with guys like Keon Keeley, Peyton Bowen, uh, Samson Ukulola, who's a five-star offensive tackle from Braintree, Maine, uh, a guy that's, you know, kind of talked about maybe looking at USC and being in contact with USC, but still tough. Um, you know, a lot of people thought he was kind of written off to Miami for a while. Obviously, Miami's had a disastrous season. Uh, but Mario Cristobal is a very good offensive line coach, and he's a very good offensive line recruiter. And so that's always been something that, you know, has played into, uh, I think, Uncunola, if I'm pronouncing that properly, Uncunola, uh, it's always played a big part in his recruitment. Alabama's been there. USC's just been on the peripheral. And like I said, they've been on the peripheral for Kenyon Keeley. They've, uh, you know, been in a better position for a guy like Nicholas Harbor, but I still would say, if you want to call it the C group, that's the C group, that's third tier, not in terms of the guys that USC wants, it's just more of the type of attention they're getting and the interest they're getting from those recruits. They love to land, I think, all of those players. It's just one of those things that can they get them on campus for an official visit? Um, You know, Harbor, they did have him at least out here unofficially, but those other players, uh, they have not had out here at all. And so you have to at least get them on campus to have some type of shot at them. And that C group that you just talked about feels... Not D group, man. Get your groups together. Okay, we got A, B, and C. I think first tier, second I tier, said third C. tier is a better way of looking at it just because, you know, when you put C group, it sounds like it's plan B or plan C. That's not what we're really trying to convey. It's, it's more of the interest that the prospects have in USC. So the C group, you know, that group with Harbor, uh, Keeley, uh, Bowen, Unkilola, those guys are the guys that are looking at USC, 
potentially maybe take that official visit to USC. Like I said before, I think Harbor is sort of lingering between that that uh, that second tier and third tier. Uh, we've, we've heard mixed stuff on that. He's told us personally, yeah, for sure he's going to visit University of Southern California, not South Carolina. South Carolina is in it for him. I think he, he did take an unofficial visit to South Carolina, and I believe he like the next week for an official visit. There was a lot of confidence there from South Carolina that they were going to be able to get him. But Michigan has been confident during his recruitment. LSU has been extremely confident during his recruitment. He still has not taken it to LSU. I don't believe he's even taking a visit to LSU, if I recall. So there's still there's a lot of you know there's a lot of confidence with certain players just because they say good things about every school that they visit. You know they have uh, some maybe some ties or some connections to some of these schools. We know with Harbor, um, his mom is originally from Detroit. And so that's always sort of been looked at as, OK, the home away from home school. And, you know, his mom wants him to, to go to Michigan because they've got family still in Detroit. But I think there's a lot of assumptions made there. I think there's a lot of, you know, you know, maybe his mom moved from Detroit for a reason. She doesn't want to go back to Detroit. I mean, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, people trying to connect the dots. And if you're from if you're rooting for that particular program, then. You, you, you see nothing but positives in connecting those dots, you know? So I, I think that there's still a whole lot of recruiting go on. And as I said before, with Pleasant and Harbor, those- I'm going to cut you off real quick because we do have a little bit of breaking news. As I told you before the show, college football playoff rankings will be released during the middle of the show. And USC just moved up to number six. In the CFP, they have never been that high. Last week, they were number seven, which was a program best, besting the uh, number eight ranking that they had in 2017. But six, Gerard, they're in that little graph when they show the top four and then the first two out. That's where USC has reached under Lincoln Riley. So I go back to this group C. I know you took issue with the fact that I was saying group C, but what if it's C for championship? Like if USC wins the Pac-12 championship, do any of these guys in this group C become more uh, reasonable? I don't know if reasonable is the right word, but more uh, realistic. Uh, Because, you know, if they beat Notre Dame, beat Oregon, whatever, in the Pac-12 championship, that's a 12-1 and season and probably a playoff team. So does USC's door get a lot more open for these guys in group C? Potentially, potentially. I don't want to make any predictions or promises. As I said before, I think with that group in in that C group or that third tier, I think it's better to call it a third tier because it's Fair certainly enough. not like a, a plan A, plan B, plan C type of thing. USC would love to take all those players, trust me. So that third group, that third tier, if you will, I think Nick Harbour is definitely the guy that uh, is is probably the best bet at taking an official visit. But as I said before, with Roderick Pleasant being a track star, he's not probably going to sign early and he may actually push some official visits back into January. Uh, if not later, uh, we've seen some players go beyond the February. It's the new mold. Victory. It's the new yeah. mold. So that's, there's potential there. You know, he's got track and I know they're going to want to focus on track. So I think he and Roderick, we're both wanting to get it done at some point, but the recruiting process is going to go beyond uh, this point where we have, you know, that early signing period, early signing day 
is technically December 21st. I thought Steve Wiltfong had a good tweet, and it's something that we kind of talked about last week, is, you know, the transfer portal opens up December 5th, and that could definitely shake up some of these classes. And so guys like Nick Harbour and Roderick Pleasant, uh, maybe even C.J. Blocker, who decide to wait it out because they're going to run track and they're not going to be mid-years, they're going to be able to sit back and watch all the chaos and see after the holidays what what these recruiting classes look like, who is transferring where. Um, you know, that transfer portal window, I think, goes all the way to the 18th. So you're going to have a dead period there in between. It's only 15 days of actual uh, porthole recruiting, if you will, where they enter the portal. Uh, but it uh, it will go all the way till January 18th. So you know, these kids that are not actually making those early signings are going to be able to kind of see how things play out to some extent, which is it's going to be interesting in and of itself, because right now we're looking at this class and 20 committed recruits for USC. And, you know, you make all these projections, but you get one big transfer at a position and that could change that position altogether. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did not expect uh, this 20. 20- 23 target list board breakdown to take as long as it did but why am i surprised i shouldn't be surprised Derek. that's what i'm not we do. i mean you, we gotta yeah, talk I mean, we, we gotta talk about you know a dozen players plus and you know trying to break down their recruitment to kind of where things sit you know it takes a little explanation but that's what people are here for absolutely that's what uh people are here for so we'll we'll keep it moving but i think that was a good comprehensive look at the board at where it stands right now as we approach you know, the end of the season, going into the real recruiting season into December with Transfer Portal and all that high school recruiting. So I think that's a good reset of what's on the board right now, what's left on the board, and guys that, you know, could very well very well end up in this class. Just a couple of notes in our next portion, uh, just some hit, quick hitters. Uh, edge rusher Tyler Ween out of Texas who was a 2023 offer, and if he had not committed this week to Oklahoma, he'd probably be on this uh, board list we just talked about as one of those uh, Tier 2 guys, but a six foot five edge rusher out of Tennessee. Oklahoma was actually his crystal ball projection before he got the Oklahoma offer officially, I believe. So Sooners were a big favorite in his uh, recruitment. USC did offer... Obviously, had no real traction with that. Sooners pick him up. Uh, four-star defensive tackle, Marcus Deal, go ahead, went ahead and committed to TCU. This was a guy that's been a popular uh, talking point on this podcast. Lots of questions about Marcus Deal. Took uh, an official visit to USC over the summer. Uh, went ahead and pulled the trigger for TCU, which is, you know, having a great season. Number four in the college football playoff rankings right now, looking like a playoff team, assuming everything goes their way. So not surprised that TCU jumped on uh, Marcus Deal. Marcus Deal jumped on TCU, but he, quote unquote, comes off the board for the Horned Frogs. And then, as we alluded to earlier in the show when talking about Caleb Bryant, he revealed his top eight with USC in there, along with Oregon, Jackson State, Nebraska, Mississippi State, Alcorn State, Miami, and Mizzou. So a couple of interesting schools on there, a couple of usual Power 5 schools. And, yeah, that's a interesting list that USC is combating against. And assuming 
if they push for him, I would see them making that next cut if he decides to do a next cut, especially if they get him on campus in December. But, yeah, those are just some quick hitter notes. Gerard, anything you want to comment on? I'm sure it's going to be Marcus Deal. Yeah, I mean, I think Deal was a guy that, you know, we had gotten a lot of questions on. Defensive tackle, so, you know, Trojan fans are very aware that that is where USC has to get better at. They have to get better in the front seven on the defensive front, particularly with interior defensive linemen. There are just not a lot of options in the West Coast, certainly not a lot of ready-made options. A guy that visited during that golden hour weekend, and USC felt good about him through his recruitment. But I think early on, they were recruiting him more as an offensive lineman, and they had to pivot at some point during the summer because Deal was very focused on playing defensive line. So the schools that kind of opened up recruiting him defensive line, I think were the schools that had an edge, and USC was kind of trying to make up a little ground. I do find it interesting, a little bit of a looking back on it, with Deal, with uh, Trey Wilson, who's also from Garland, who committed to Baylor, the defensive end, who was there on that visit weekend. Um, with some of those guys in the DFW er- area, I noticed that they're of that group that had the opinion, the perception that USC's defense wasn't going to be very good. And they were critical and, and them not producing a lot of NFL talent from those defenses. And it's interesting because that area, obviously, Oklahoma recruits a lot. That's the Red River shootout area. Uh, when you're talking about Dallas and Fort Worth, Garland is right up there. Um, all those players, talking to them, that was kind of the main group of guys that when I asked them, okay, you, you like everything about USC. I, I mean, after those official visit weekends, all those kids were like, USC checked all the boxes. You know, That was like a common phrase that was used when talking about their official visits to USC. So it's like, okay, they check all the boxes. So what, what are you hesitant about? You know, what are the questions that remain coming away from that official visit weekend? And it was across the board. Yeah. You know, they don't really, that staff isn't really known for having great defenses. And, you know, some of the kids kind of rationalized said, well, you know, I don't think they really recruited great players. Um, on those Oklahoma teams to play defense, I don't think they had enough of those players. And I think USC will be able to get better players defensively. And in turn, they'll have better defenses. But ultimately, now you have Warren Roberson committed to TCU. You have committed to DCU. You have Trey Wilson and since then. But we don't think USC really has a shot at him at this point in time. We'll see. You know, that would be a, a surprise. We didn't really talk about him on that 2023 target board but I guess you could technically include him there too because at least he's been in Los Angeles he's taken an official visit he does have some type of relationship point looked at as the longest shot of long shots but that group you know again talking to most of them that was there was you know Lincoln Riley awesome their offenses are awesome they're gonna be a better team but do they produce NFL players and are they actually going to have good defenses at USC and you see that, you know, some of these guys, Trey Wilson, hey, come play Baylor. You're going to have a defensive-minded head coach. And I put all these guys in the NFL. I had great defenses here, here, and here. And that's why he decided to, to make that move and, and go to Baylor. Baylor Bears. Sorry. I had a random burst of energy that, that I needed to get that out. That was totally unnecessary. Totally Yeah, unnecessary. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I just needed to get that out there. So that's what it is. 
just some quick hitter notes. Don't have anything else to really add to that. Um, Caleb Bryant on. just put up his, his – before you move on, Caleb Bryant just put up do his some. film. Um, so you guys can check that out on Huddle. It's pretty good. Uh, it, it's 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 not bad. You like it's, it. You like it. I, I like it. It's 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 disruptive. He makes some good plays. Interestingly enough, the talk was Mississippi State was sort of slow playing him because they weren't super impressed with the start of his senior year. So I I watched the film and I didn't think it was bad. Is it um, the type of film like oh we got to go get that guy? He's you know really underrated i don't know i think you know you want to get some big bodies and you want to get some good players i think with some of these offers that have been later offers which makes up uh, the majority of that tier two that we talked about on the target list that's a group of guys that i think definitely could be impacted by the portal you know those are the guys that you get a transfer at one of those positions edge rusher linebacker what have you and then maybe one of those guys doesn't have a spot anymore. So that's another thing that we have to kind of mention in talking about what's left on the board. Um, it's, you know, the tier one guys are the guys that you take. And and mostly those guys are, are local guys and guys that have been on campus numerous times, right? So that's where you're sort of putting those flags down and, and building that fence around that, that group of regional players. And then that tier two is guys that USC has a good shot at, mostly guys that have gotten late offers and kind of blown up late. And that's why USC's gotten their foot in the door and they've recruited them, you know, pretty early on in, in them blowing up, but are guys that are susceptible to a potential transfer coming in at one of those positions and USC saying, ah, okay, we're, we're not going to go after the development guy, the guy that we think has some upside that's being under-recruited. We're going to go get a ready-made player out of college that we know is going to contribute for our team next season. And then I guess that tier three is the big time players, you know, five-star guys, but guys that are sort of cusp in terms of their interest and whether they're actually going to make their official visits to USC. And that really is what makes or breaks USC's chances with them. Maybe we should have started that segment with that kind of uh, disclaimer. Maybe we should have started with that, but that's okay. A lot of this is off the fly for the most part. Uh, We do have this nice shiny file that we work from with all our notes that we want to hit on, but sometimes just off the fly, baby. That's okay, but that's a great uh, summation of what we talked about in the cold open. That kind of bled into uh, this little quick hitter right here. So moving on, you know, it's still decommitment season, although there hasn't been a major decommitment for the third consecutive week like we had with Anthony Hill, Texas A&M, and Jaden Rashada in Miami to Florida in that flip. But there are all some kids still looking around, uh, the big one being five-star defensive tackle David Hicks who recently visited Oklahoma for their Bedlam game against Oklahoma State. If you recall, David Hicks uh, stunned a lot of people by choosing Texas A&M over Oklahoma, which was the overwhelming favorite to land him. But I guess there isn't hard feelings for the Oklahoma staff because they hosted him over this weekend for that Bedlam game. And then you had a note on Caden Proctor once again, Gerard. Yeah, so Oregon's offensive line coach actually went out there uh, the Friday before the Utah game and watched his game out in Iowa. So, you know, they're they're really trying hard to to dislodge that commitment uh, to Iowa for Caden Proctor, and and obviously that would be huge uh, for Oregon. Um, you know, we're going to see some more visits, and there's going to be a lot of kind of crazy stuff going on here 
with signing day, you know, with Hicks taking that official visit to, uh, he took that official visit to Oklahoma. His visit to Oregon, I believe, was an unofficial visit. His dad says he's still solid to A&M. Well, obviously, we'll, we'll see. You know, that's, that's been said many times in the past with top-rated decommit a week later. Um, but at this point, he's still committed to Texas A&M, but he's looking around. Uh, no talk about visiting USC. Um, you know, USC had offered him, but really was not in his recruitment. Same with Caden Proctor. But, you know, USC would, uh, like I said, th- there's players on the board for them that are of that ilk, five stars, you know, top three, top five at their positions. Um, it's just a matter of getting those guys on campus. And uh, I don't know if the trick is, you know, to, to win these next two games and get to the college football playoff. You know, I, I don't know, because clearly, you know, Oregon's not going to the college football playoff. Miami's not going to the college football playoff. There's a bunch of schools that are recruiting really well that are not going to the college football playoff. Probably the one downside, and we'll get into this when we talk about recruiting angles uh, after that UCLA game, is USC going to the Pac-12 championship game and losing a weekend and recruiting because of that. Technically, now they play on Friday uh, for the Pac-12 championship game. So you could maybe bring some guys in for that weekend. I'm not really sure how that would work, though. That's probably going to be more for in-home visits. That's one thing that's coming up as well, as we're going to start to have some in-home visits here in the next week or so. And that is going to be another sort of uh, phase of recruitment. And, you know, can Lincoln Riley and his celebrity status and and what he's able to do face-to-face with families, is he going to be able to close the deal with some of those tier one guys? Is he going to be able to maybe get some ground uh, with the tier three guys? Certainly, it's not going to be all on him because those those head coaches only get one in-home visit per cycle. So it's really going to be on the assistant coaches, guys like Roy Manning, uh, guys like Kyle McDonald, um, you know, Josh Hansen, uh, Zach Hansen, uh, you know, Brian Odom, uh, Sean Nua. That group is going to have to be able to, you know, get their weekly visits in and try to get into the to the ears of those kids and, and get them on campus for an official visit. And and that's going to be uh, the challenge here is, is to get some more big impact players on campus to be able to close a class and, and get into that top five and, and not have to depend so much maybe on the portal. But again, you know, that that's a strategy for some schools is just to go to the portal. You know, they're, they're not really interested in the projections that you have to make with the high school kids. Um, they feel like they can go and get ready-made players, and there's less questions about them coming over from whatever college. You've got college film on a player, and just say, yeah. just say UCLA. <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was gonna stop, say stop, well, UCLA. Stop tweeting them. Just say, sub, just, just say it. Just say the school. Yeah, but again, we're kind of stepping on the uh, recruiting angle uh, segment of the show, talking about that because that's uh, obviously going to be a, a point of contention uh, when we talk about the game. And. That's a good segue, you mentioning the transfer portal in general. So I think it's time we just jump on that. Just, you know, we talked about last week introducing this segment, kind of a transfer portal look around. I mean, I believe you labeled it initially TP for the portal, and I don't love it. That's why it's not called that right now. Uh, I don't have... No, it's not called that right now because I changed it, but... Listen, you do need TP for your portal. Yeah, well, if anyone you has a better name for you the transfer be portal young. segment, if anyone you might be too young. I don't 
do you know where that actual that's a little bit of a boomer i mean i i don't know if it's a boomer or not i i, I actually don't know generationally what's a boomer anymore everybody who's anybody over 30 i think is called a boomer which i don't think is right but i think that's what people say uh but you are uh, you are genuinely a a millennial are you not chris i i am yeah okay so you know that reference do you know tp for my portal do you know that reference uh beavis and butthead okay okay good 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 good. the great portfolio i didn't watch beavis and butthead that much but i remember being on <laughs> that much <laughs> i remember being on like like late night uh I, I believe it was like on cartoon network sometimes late night or something like that uh that's what i remember but i don't remember i that's like one of the more famous uh lines and quotes so i do remember that but yes i do know what that reference is now jack smith our intern absolutely not i absolutely know he does not uh, understand that reference. If I, I might ask him that later when I see him and see what he they says. Did, they did just put a new Beavis and Butthead movie on Paramount this past year. So, oh, what a plug! What a plug! And you can get Paramount Plus when you sign up for uspeople.com, which you can do seventy-five percent off Paramount an Plus? annual account right now. Thank uh, Thanksgiving Black Friday sale going on this week ends Friday. Seventy-five percent off an annual membership. Get Paramount Plus part of that deal. So I don't know. Why don't you just go do it? Uh, it's up there on our it's site. Just go to usable.com and check it out and watch uh, the Beavis and Butthead movie on Paramount+. Plus. There you go. And what I was saying is this goes into our transfer portal update segment. We're just kind of who's entering the portal over the last week since our last show. Well, there's been some portal additions. Uh, one big one today. And Gerard, why don't you just run through those real quick? Well, the big one from today was Trey Sanders, former five-star running back from IMG. He's transferring out of Alabama. Uh, a lot of injury issues with him. He hurt his knee, been in a car accident. Uh, you know, obviously getting a lot of questions of the peristyle. Is this a guy that USC will go after, should go after? I can only say at this point because he's only been in the porthole for so long. It's probably a good example of a player that USC shouldn't go after. Mm-hmm. This is the type of guy that has some injuries and, you know, they've, They've uh, it's been a mixed bag in terms of the transfer portal players from Alabama. Alabama knows what they're doing. Uh, they're not letting guys slip out uh, with uh, with with some some gas in their tank. Uh, this is certainly something that you know when the when the portal first opened up, I think a lot of people felt like oh there's going to be more parity in college football. You know Alabama is not going to be able to stack guys. Georgia, Clemson, they're not going to be able to stack all these recruiting classes, but. Truth be told, I think with NIL, it's allowed these schools to retain a lot of their talent. And even if guys are, you know, second string, third string, uh, for the most part, they're able to keep them around with NIL deals and keep them happy because the schools that they would transfer for to, for the most part, don't have those type of competing deals. So um, with Trey Sanders, I just think that that's a pass for USC. Um, I don't know for sure. You know, maybe they, they, they kick the tires a little bit. Um, but you got to do some type of evaluations in terms of uh, looking at his injuries and and if he's you know really healthy and can contribute right away. They, as we've said in the past, and as I've written about in the war room, uh, USC needs more Jordan Addisons now moving forward and less uh, Isaiah Sopshers. And you need to recruit guys based on their college film and not their high school film. If you're USC, if you want to move forward and you want to get better, and so Trey Sanders. Uh, one of the biggest names uh, from high school now transferring from 
uh, Alabama. There's a few other guys that, you know, we've talked about in the past. And, you know, certainly Xavier Worthy uh, from Texas, been a lot of smoke about maybe him transferring. Stanford defensive end David Bailey, you know, some chatter just in recent days about him maybe uh, looking out. Um, and, and he was a guy that, you know, basically came down to USC and Stanford. We had a whole segment on him earlier in the year when USC played Stanford. And, you know, whether that would be something that um, recounting his recruitment, if he would give USC a second look. And uh, I think he will give USC a second look. Uh, he went to modern day high school. One of the biggest uh, you know, factors in his recruitment was going to school where he felt like he could still play good football, but get a great education. Uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen at Stanford. You know, Stanford, Stanford right now. They're they're sort of back to what Stanford has been traditionally, and USC is kind of getting back to where they've been traditionally. And so are those um, those those positions have flipped within the conference, and I think in terms of national perception. And so we'll see what happens with David Bailey. These did you guys see the not, did, did you see the David Bailey rumor on the the parastyle today? Yeah, I mean it wasn't a rumor. It was just you. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into it, um, but yeah, that 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 you know, somebody saw him, uh, his mom, and and etc. And, and what have you. And I, I, I just know that if he had a better relationship with the USC staff, they probably would have been able to get him. Uh, that's my feeling on the situation. I, I think you know a lot of it had to do with just his comfort with the Stanford staff, and they've been there and they've been recruiting him. Uh, and uh, and certainly, you know, the education is 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 a huge factor. But I think that that was a little more of a wash than people want to think. And if USC was in the position that they are now last year, oh, he'd be a Trojan. I, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he would have committed and signed with USC instead of Stanford. Um, but that wasn't the case. There was a lot of transition. And for a kid, and again, go back to that podcast. It was like, I don't know, in, in September at some point, we talked about how and he just he didn't know football. He never watched college football. He didn't even realize that he fired Clay Helton. And then they thought, well, okay, they'll just, you know, bring in another head coach. It's like, no, that whole coaching staff is gone. You know, he did not know how things worked. And so uh, that, that whole transition for him was a huge shock. And so I think uh, stability and winning and everything else, uh, potentially, again, these are not guys that are in the portal. Trey Sanders is in the portal. Okay. Xavier Worthy, not in the portal. David Bailey, not in the portal. Jade not. Another guy that USC kind of recruited a bit, but wasn't recruited by the new staff. I think with these type of players, this is what we talked about. The Pac-12 potentially being maybe a little bit of a farm system for USC. Um, if they go on Big 12, or excuse me, Big 10, and you know, it ends up being a superior conference and USC can continue to win. Uh, it's it's just what do you mean if it ends up being it is well I mean if the the separation between the two conferences uh, continues that 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 gap widens resources the money that it pulls in it's successful I mean that's the thing is it successful because we don't know guarantee wise you know how it's all going to work out uh, if it's going to be like a lot of people think it's one of those things where the Pac-12 what's left over from the Pac-12 Still going to be good players in the Pac-12, um, which, you know, will be at that point the Pac-10. And who knows, maybe the Pac-8. We don't know what it's actually like. But if there's still good players in that conference, you you exist in that footprint of the conference. Those players, they want to play big time. You know, they want to play at the high, highest levels. 
and USC would be able to uh, to, to to host them and bring those type of players in instead of you know maybe being the a second tier mid major conference. And so that's interesting to see how that all goes and whether you have some of the better players year in year out uh, going forward from um, the, the the Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever it's called. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And one other name that has been dropped recently, I'm going to butcher the name, but it is uh, Texas A&M player uh, Donnell Harris, I believe is his name. And that is someone who has not officially entered the portal. Donnell Harris Jr., uh, he intends to enter the portal. His name is not officially in the portal. Uh, he's not in the system yet, but that is maybe the first of many out of uh, Texas A&M. Uh, he's an edge player, six foot four, out of Miami, Florida. He was a top 10 player in 2021 for reclassifying in 2020. So I'm not sure his background. He was not a USC offer as far as I can recall. Um, no. He has a he has a four-star brother defensive back in the 2023 class. So USC is not involved with him. So, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. But I think not so more, much as USC being a player there, but more so the, maybe the, the start of the, uh, the Texas A&M departures are coming. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a report. There was a report that uh, the big five star out of Tennessee, I forget his first name, is Nolan. Um, Walter? Was also, Walter Nolan, yeah, who was uh, actually transferred out as well. That that had come out. And that was surprising to the people that I talked to from Texas A&M. Um, we already reported that there will be uh, one, if not two, players at USC formally recruited that will be in the transfer portal. One very confident. Sores is very confident. He's gone. He's basically been kicked off the team. Um, we put that in the war room. And then there's another guy that they think is probably going to transfer out as well. And those two players, USC uh, had a connection with, and I believe uh, that the Sooner staff, uh, we staff had a connection with as well. So those two players um, were expected to potentially be in the portal, but Walter Nolan, the former five-star from Tennessee, that was not expected, and that I think is still not official because I have not seen it actually entered into the database for 24-7 sports, nor have I seen it repeated by 24-7 sports as fact that he is going to be in the database. Um, but that would be obviously a huge, huge name. Uh, he's played well this season. I, I believe he's actually played and gotten some snaps. Um, Tennessee would obviously be a big player there for him to go back home. Um, USC was not involved in his recruitment whatsoever. And, and I don't know what type of relationship with uh, the past Oklahoma staff, which is now at USC, Lincoln Riley and company would have with him. Obviously it would be more Sean Nua, uh, Roy Manning type of thing. Um, Jamar Kane and the defensive line coach, uh, Thibodeau, I think it's Calvin Thibodeau was the defensive line coach at Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was there. Uh, they are obviously not at USC, so there would be no relationship there. So you're always looking for relationships, and relationships are key. It's really before these guys get officially into the portal because, you know, we talked about with the big-time guys, a guy like Walter Nolan, uh, a, a guy that's going to be a five-star guy, usually there's plenty of chatter, those players' uh, recruitment that start reaching out and feeling out, okay, you know, who's interested and potentially bringing in this transfer. So you have to already know what's about to happen before it happens 
to sometimes even get in the race for some of these transfers. Okay. Uh, and with that, Gerard, I think it's time we take a break for about an hour and 12 minutes into this podcast. We come back, we'll talk about some college football coaching carousel updates, some week 12 scores, your highly anticipated recruiting angle and your take on the UCLA USC game in general, some quick Friday night lights from where we were at last Friday, Friday night schedule, week 14 of college football. And then I got some questions for you. How does that sound? This sounds magnificent. Okay. I don't appreciate the sarcasm, but we will be back after this break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gerard, did you make a pumpkin pie during your break? <laughs> no. No, I didn't make or eat a pumpkin pie. Uh, I did have a slice of pumpkin pie a few weeks ago, which I like pumpkin pie. A few pie. weeks a ago? A lot of people... It was like two weeks ago. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was decent. It, you you know, just bought a pumpkin pie, or uh, it was no. My sister bought a pumpkin pie. Okay, uh, but it was not. I like Costco pumpkin pies, and I like those are great apple, apple pies. But those giant ones. Yeah. Now they're always too big, but they're good. They're really good. I'm not a big fan of like the the Stater Brothers, uh, and it was one of those smaller ones like that, which it wasn't horrible, but. Yeah, I kind of look forward to the bigger pies. So uh, I'm hoping somebody uh, has bought, you know, something uh, for Thanksgiving. I don't really know what uh, for dessert, what everybody's making. We usually have like yams and my mom will make yams and put like marshmallows on top with uh, walnuts and brown sugar and all that kind of stuff. So that in itself is like a dessert. The the issue with uh, the pumpkin pies from Costco, in my opinion, while good, I feel like they go bad really quick as opposed to other pies. So I buy my pie every year at this local bakery that I love. So they make elite pumpkin pie. Shout out to Rossmore Bakery in Long Beach. So my mom supposed to pick one up today. So hopefully that got done. So they don't sell out. So shout out to pumpkin pie and elite pie. 
sound like that was a low key passive aggressive shout out to mom if she picked up that if if she picked it up (laughs) only if she picked it up so we'll see after the show that's the first person i'm going to text after this show is complete but let's get back to the show at hand have some updates for the college football carousel which is a segment where we just take a look at all these openings across the country still no spot has been filled from the teams we've had on this list georgia tech nebraska arizona state colorado wisconsin and auburn but two big updates one being colorado reportedly talking to Deion sanders about an opening at their position which just seems a out of left field sort of i mean i guess Deion's name has been connected to other jobs including the auburn job but colorado that just seems super random for Deion to go from Florida to halfway or not halfway all the way across the country to Colorado. That just seems wild. And then the other one being Lane Kiffin and Auburn, which the first week we started this Lane Kiffin was the topic of conversation with Auburn picked up a lot more steam. The uh, yesterday when a reporter by the name of John Sokoloff tweeted and I quote Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin plans to step down as the Rebels coach Friday and head to Auburn to become the Tigers' next head coach, according to sources. This is the next line, and it's very confusing. Sources say the Tigers haven't officially offered the job to anyone yet, so Lane to Auburn is happening. Story soon. Well, everyone ran with that. It did over 6,000 retweets and blew up on Twitter. And then Lane Kiffin comes out about, I believe, a couple hours after that and quote tweeted it. And said, that's news to me, John. Head slapping emoji, nice sources, uh, negative sign, devil emoji, chair emoji, dinner plate emoji. And so I have no idea what's happening, Gerard. But that's, I think, something for the coaching carousel. I mean, and he... he He's stunned. He has no words. He has no words. Did he put something... Didn't Lane also... He put out a He trolled him. He trolled yeah, him. of a of a of a of something written that I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but it was just like what it's is the same. It's a, it's the same. It's exactly it's John Sokoloff's tweet, but written a perspective of Lane Kiffin saying that John Sokoloff is stepping down uh, to become the head anchor at somewhere else. So oh, okay. say yeah. So he basically he's trolling him right back. <laughs> So uh, yeah, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine like any other coach? Do, can you imagine Nick Saban doing something like this? You know, like Nick Saban to the Miami Dolphins or Nick Saban to the NFL, and you right. just like get on Twitter and say, "Nice tweet," and then emote like four <laughs> emojis with only like one or two of them. You really understand what they mean? Yeah, <laughs> I I don't want to spend forty five minutes trying to figure out what dinner plate devil chair emoji means. Um. But yeah, I mean, but but I, I just think of the the wildness of one, just like the, the confidence to tweet that out on uh, John Sokoloff's part, and then to have the person in question tweet at you that it's wrong. I mean, that's wild, and that's Twitter, and you know, off season coaching hires crazy. 
And well, I don't know what to believe. I don't know if well, this I was means say, he's it's, definitely it's, staying or it means he's definitely leaving. I, I know, know, I know. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's crazy, and of course it can't be true. But then you go, would it would it really shock anybody if it actually turned out to be true? No, I don't think so. I think most of us have become cynical enough with all these college coaching carousel moves over the past I don't know five years that if it still happened, it'd be like, oh well, yeah. Because I mean, this reporter was right on another coaching move that was made to Auburn. And I think he is connected to Mississippi State and not actually Ole Miss. And so it's an interesting angle that he's putting out there. Um, but, you know, Lane's reply and that he even replied is is pretty interesting. You would think that the reply is to shoot things down because obviously it's going to have an impact on Ole Miss recruiting to some extent. Um, mm. But uh, – the fact that um, he went all in there and, and kind of went back and forth a little bit with it, uh, had fun with it, it, it kind of makes you feel like, well, maybe he kind of went overboard with it because it is true and it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of the beginning of probably some crazy storylines that are going to erupt from the coaching carousel. And, you know, Deion Sanders and Colorado. Colorado has such issues supporting their athletic programs just in general you know we've heard so much about how in the red they've been and you just wonder why would Dion link up with the school in terms of resources and support it's been questionable across the board for the last you know two decades I mean gosh going back to you know the Eric B enemy days man Colorado has been in trouble in terms of being able to have the money to have the the facilities and the coaches and the the support staff and Everything, you know, to be able to compete at the level that they that they were competing at at one point. I mean, Colorado used to be a big time national football program, really was one of the first football teams that I watched and even followed a little bit. I, I think I mentioned before, like one of the first college football games I watched was Colorado versus Notre Dame. That game where Rakeem Ishmael returns that punt return for a touchdown and they win the game. And um, you had Slash there. You had uh, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you had, you know, so many big time players there. That was back in the days when it was Colorado. Nebraska was like the biggest rivalry in the country. And they're just they've they've fallen so far from that point. And it just doesn't seem like they're really of schools that are like, you, well, that's a sleeping giant. I don't know that really Colorado is a sleeping giant because it just doesn't seem like there's any interest um, from the administration or even just like politically to have athletics there be great again, just across the board, not just football, but in general, it just seems like there's not a lot of money there for Colorado athletics. And I just don't see Deion Sanders, you know, people talking about him going to Georgia tech. And the first thing everybody says is, you know, Georgia tech needs Dion more than Dion needs Georgia tech. And I kind of feel the same way with Colorado. Sorry. Did you say slashes and guns and roses? <laughs> no. Um, Cordell Stewart, uh, the quarterback that was ah, one of the nickname, first, I assume. Yeah, he was one of the first real dual threat quarterbacks in college football. He could play receiver, he could play a bunch of different positions, but he, he played quarterback, and so they call him Slash, as in he was a quarterback slash athlete. Okay, that makes more sense. I I do know the name Cordell Stewart, but I had no idea his name was uh Yeah, he played Slash. for uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, for a while. Yeah, and yeah. um yeah, he was one of those first you know, really successful uh, college football quarterbacks that that was able to to do a lot with his feet. I mean, granted, college football, they they ran the option. You know, you had the wishbone. You had schools that ran the option. You know, Tommy Frazier was another guy uh, that was a big-time athletic quarterback. So, I, actually, I shouldn't say 
was one of the first because it, it really goes back before him. But he was one of the first that actually people thought had a chance to go to the NFL. And he did go to the NFL, but I think he played mostly receiver, if I, if I recall, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But he was one of the guys that actually people said, OK, he, he can legitimately play quarterback. Tommy Frazier, not so much. He was an athlete. He was like a basically a running back playing for Nebraska. You had um, uh, the Holloway, which is before my time at Oklahoma who was another wishbone quarterback. You had a lot of option quarterbacks through the years of college football, but those guys were always looked at as, okay, you go to the NFL, you're going to be playing running back or you're going to play receiver or defensive back. You're not, even like Scott Frost was a guy that, you know, you're not going to play quarterback in the NFL. You know, it was, it was like Cordell Stewart was kind of Tim Tebow-ish where he had enough success as a passer where people said, well, you know what, potentially he could be able to be a passing quarterback and he could go to NFL as a quarterback and be drafted as a quarterback. So that's why they called him slash because they felt like he actually had the ability to play quarterback. In addition to being a guy that was obviously option athlete that, you know, they had some really good teams there at Colorado, um, you know, that, that were like national championship level teams. Well, thank you for the breakdown of slash Cordell Stewart. Uh, I never know what we're going to talk about on this show. And I did not have Cordell Stewart uh, breakdown in my, uh, my bingo card. Gerard. No, but you but you had slash from Guns N' Roses, which is you yeah, know, I mean, a little out of your uh, wheelhouse as well. I mean, I, I didn't know that uh, you were a big Guns N' Roses fan. Chinese Democracy is that your favorite album? The, uh, I don't know if you're asking me this uh, sincerely or you're doing a bit. Not at all. Not at all. I I, I don't expect <laughs> you to know. Use your illusions one or two. I, I don't expect you to know anybody but Axel and Slash probably in that band or uh, anything outside of uh, welcome to the jungle probably is a song. Maybe, maybe Chris could maybe know sweet child of mine, but I think uh, the, the knowledge of guns and roses is probably pretty shallow with Chris Trevino. Absolutely. It is. And I'm not even going to try because there's probably a bunch of people really mad at me right now. So I'm just going to move on to week 12 college football scores. Let me just run through them real quick. Florida 24, uh, excuse me, I, Gerard, you wrote these backwards, and now I look like a dummy. Vandy, <laughs> 31-24 over Florida. Uh, Baylor, no, I did it again. TCU escapes Baylor, 29-28. No, That's you, man. Yeah, I just saw that. I, I was reading the backwards of Vandy, Florida, and I thought you just did it again. And <laughs> I feel stupid because I watched this game. I watched this game. I know Baylor lost. I don't know what the score was, but it was 29, 28. I know. I'm just saying, like, I forgot what the score was and I just read it wrong. I thought it was going to be 20. Never mind. I'm confusing myself. TCU yeah. 29 over Baylor 28 wild game. I watched that game. That one was so much fun. Clemson 40 dismantles Miami who scored 10 points and no surprise because everyone's dismantling Miami these days, but doesn't matter. They're still recruiting. Well, the most, uh, one of the bigger ones, South Carolina, the other USC, uh, 63, 38 over Tennessee, which is helpful to USC and their college football playoff dreams, knocking the volunteers down. In the college football playoff rankings, USC moves up into their uh, a spot because of them losing. And Tennessee, you know, great season. You know, they lost their star quarterback, Hendon Hooker, to a torn ACL, just tough. Tough all around for the Volunteers, but they take a massive loss to Spencer Rattler, the former Oklahoma quarterback who just had a an amazing game in that upset. And then the local one, or local to the region, Oregon takes down Utah 20-17, to 
and puts themselves in position on the track to be USC's opponent for the Pac-12 championship on December 2nd. Now, Oregon still has to get through Oregon State in the Civil War on the road, so it is far from a gimme for them. Oregon could still make it if they lose, but they need a lot of things to go right. Washington's still in play. Utah's still in play. All those teams still in play to play for a Pac-12 championship, but Oregon controls their destiny with a 20-17 to win over Utah, and they, neither team looked great. I know Bo Nix was not 100%. It was a weird game, but the Ducks are the favorites right now to face USC in the title game. Gerard, what do you want to jump on out of these scores, even though I butchered the first two? Trojan fans would love to see Utah game. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. really kind of what they'd like to, to, to see a rematch there in Vegas. But isn't it more important for Oregon recruiting sense? Yeah, I mean, beating Oregon, there's more head-to-head matchups with Oregon from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, Oregon's a better team uh, in terms of talent and probably, you know, playing up to playing against USC. Um, you know, they've beaten USC uh, the last few times that they played head-to-head. And so, you know, certainly from that standpoint, you know, there's there's a lot of payback that's involved. Um, but probably more dangerous opponent, I would think, you know, in the, in the uh, Pac-12 championship game. Um, just because they've 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 got talent, you know, Oregon has out recruited USC the last two to three years, and so um, with Utah, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, but uh, Oregon, I think, you know, there's there's a little more of a a window there, a parameter of, you know, what you get some 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 weeks as opposed to other weeks. So uh, two different, I think, opponents there in terms of uh, you know what USC would face in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, on a Friday, which is still silly, but a short week, um, I think you know uh, USC would 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 love to see <laughs> a, a Utah rematch. Um, you know, which could happen. Uh, I think Washington has to also lose to Washington State, or I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm let's not, let's not even give ourselves a headache trying to do that right now. Yeah, all, all of that stuff in terms of you know what what would have to happen for them to play Utah. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, I, I think another point of contention that I have here. Uh, a, a sidebar rant, South Carolina versus Tennessee. So Tennessee gets blown out again, right? And I've seen some interesting takes here. And this is going to sort of bleed into um, sort of the Friday Night Lights and, and what we saw last weekend, uh, Low Sal versus Modern Day. And some peristylers comparing Malachi Nelson to Spencer Radler uh, in terms of disposition. Yeah, in terms of just like, oh, you know what, you know, his attitude and what have you. Let me let me say something very, very, very just bluntly. Not even close. Not a fair comparison whatsoever. I've been around Malachi Nelson. I have been around Spencer Rattler, and they are two very different players. Now, I, I can understand there being some, okay, body language, and there's some things with Nelson um, that you could criticize. Uh, just in terms of games not going well or what have you. You know, we saw him with the American Heritage game. And now with the modern day game, I, I understand where maybe there's some 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 things that people question uh, in terms of, you know, leadership and what have you. But they're very ticky-tack type of things compared to with Spencer Radler, who was just flat out kind of a knucklehead. I mean, kind of a guy that you knew was a diva and was not going to be um, a very good teammate, quite frankly. I think there was a lot of issues with him. And, you know, I, I was surprised. I, I was legitimately surprised. I think I said this before, 
when I watched Pinnacle play, I think it was Mission Viejo, and they played, uh, I think it was an honorable game. It was a game early in the season, and it was uh, at Moore Park, and they were playing Mission Viejo, and Spencer Radler would not shut up. He talks so much trash. I mean, we're talking during at the at the line of scrimmage, getting ready to hike the ball. He's talking trash to Mission Viejo's uh, defensive backs. Like, what? Shut up! Call, dude. You you got to read the defense. What are you doing? Getting in this conversation with a defensive back that's out there on the hashes? Like it was it it was ridiculous. And so, uh. Malachi Nelson is much more of a low-key type of guy. Maybe he's a, a little too low-key sometimes. You know, he's got to be a little more vocal, what have you. But he is a good teammate. He is a guy that I think other kids like to be around. Um, he's not a divisive type of individual. So, you know, hey, Spencer Rattler had a great game against South Carolina, and they blow out Tennessee, and people will talk up uh, Spencer Rattler again. I mean, Spencer Rattler, people forget uh, they were talking about him maybe being a Heisman Trophy candidate uh, coming into last year, you know, before he got benched for Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams. Um, and it was on that sort of Lincoln-Riley track to becoming another Heisman Trophy guy. I was shocked that Lincoln-Riley and they went after Spencer Rattler, quite frankly. Uh, just seeing him play against Mission Viejo and, and having been around him at a couple camps, I was just like, wow, you know, really? Then I, I kind of think, you know, Oklahoma probably could go in another direction here. Um, which they ultimately did <laughs> just uh, during the season um, of Lincoln Riley's last year at Oklahoma. But um, yeah, seeing those comparisons, the peristyle is just kind of eye rolling. And I'm just saying right now, listen, you know, I, I understand, you know, everybody's going to look at kids critically in, in certain situations, what have you. Uh, but that comparison in terms of disposition, in terms of character is not accurate. And he did not cover himself in glory when that uh, QB uh, documentary came out. I don't know if you watched that. Where it was just belittle, belittling, belittling one of his teammates. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it, it's really bad. Um, and it comes off as like, oh, he's just being like a, like a tough leader or something. No, it just it's very bad. So he yeah. did not uh, cover himself in glory in that moment. I know a lot of people pointed to that when he was uh, benched uh, for Caleb Wilson uh, in terms of his attitude. But yeah, I do not see any sort of comparison there. No, you know, Malachi is very professional. He's very polished. Um, he's very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't really have a real trash talk streak to him. He's not that kind of guy that's really focused on what other dudes are doing. And, and again, I, I understand the nitpicking and you're watching games and you're seeing him play against good teams. And, you know, everybody's always trying to make these comparisons because at the quarterback position, Hey, listen, it is a position that is scrutinized because there's so much that goes into it. So many intangibles that go into it, but certainly I'm going to tell you just right now. Yeah. Not a comparison whatsoever. I don't see quite frankly, a comparison on any level really with, with, with Spencer uh, Rattler. <laughs> it's just not, not the same kind of quarterback at all. Uh, Mel Melikai Nelson is just a, a different quarterback altogether. Yeah. Completely different. And he does have a little bit of swagger, which maybe you can take as being like, Trash talky, but that's nah. I, he, he but his swagger is so. I know. Like, I'm just saying it's different. It's not his own. Close. He he kind of yeah. does his own thing, and he's just very low key, and he's just a laid back kind of guy. He's not, you know, in your face sort of guy. Like Spencer Rattler would be the type of dude that would 
like he needs to put he needs to put it in your face his his own little thing like what he does and how he does things and he's gonna tell you that he's the best and you know and it's like completely unsolicited <laughs> you know what i mean right. like you, you're not gonna get that from malachi nelson that's just not how he is and then you've got like makai lemon who's just a dog and doesn't care oh. about any of it he's just like i'm not even i'm here to play football like give me my helmet and throw the football like shut up i don't even want to talk about it i don't want to talk about any peripherals i don't want to take a part of any of that i want to be on the field and i want to be hitting people and i want to be catching football and, and make, scoring touchdowns and then i'm done and then i'm walking away from it like he is straight up that's what he's about football like that's his thing so you know and they're and they're close friends you know that's a package deal right there we talked about that before they committed like that's one of the actual package deals that's going to happen and it did happen with oklahoma and now it's happened with usc so yeah uh, so totally different um different levels we had an interesting kind of conversation uh, taking us even further from the subject that we're talking about right now uh where somebody was talking about uh cj stroud uh versus um like Caleb, Caleb Williams for the for the, for the Heisman Trophy and and you know whether the comparisons there and what have you and that's another guy I, I mean I was around CJ a lot uh, just because I was watching Ranch Cucamonga and, and play other teams and not even there for CJ because USC really didn't recruit him uh, very hard that was a I mean he was like the third guy on that list way after Bryce Young had decommitted and it was just completely afterthought and they they never really were in it for him. Um, but I watched him a lot and, and that was like a comparison. You know, people were talking about him versus Caleb. Let me tell you, Caleb Williams is just a, a, a very, he's at another level right now. Um, he, he, he's, he's at another level as a playmaker and just, you know, everything that goes in the quarterback position. I think with CJ, he's still progressing as a player. He's still getting better as a quarterback. Um, he's a, he's a good athlete. Uh, he doesn't run the ball very much. He didn't run the ball very much. Ranch Kukumanga. He's, he's got some speed but he's a tall, bigger quarterback and he's not very agile. He's not very elusive. You know, Caleb is like just total next level when it comes to all that stuff. Caleb is on a trajectory to being an all pro and being the first round, uh, probably the first player taken in uh, the NFL draft. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was another comparison that was kind of thrown out there. It's like, eh, not really. And there's not really a lot of comparisons even with CJ Stroud and uh, Malachi Nelson. And it, it, yeah, there, there's just a lot of nuance when it comes to quarterbacks and I'm not, like a quarterback guru guy, I, I know a lot of the national experts. They they love to to, to zone in on quarterbacks because it's a, it's a, such a a big position and it's a, a popular position. And you know everybody wants to hear what you have to say about the quarterback. It's it's important. But I mean, I'll say just from what I've seen, yeah. In terms of intangibles, not a good comparison. Malachi with Spencer, and in terms of just ability, right here, right now, Caleb Williams. I mean, if you're talking about Heisman. And it's a whole, it's a total Homer opinion to have. I understand that, but it's it's honest and sincere. And and I think you know I have an educated opinion on it. Caleb Williams is a better player, and Caleb Williams is. If I'm voting, I'm voting for Caleb Williams for Heisman Trophy. Are you a Heisman voter? I am not. Okay, okay, fair enough. Ryan talks about it all the time, so I just wanted to check. Maybe I didn't know. Um, but we've done talked so much about Malachi and Makai. Do you just want to go into Friday Night Lights, or do you want to jump into your angle? Uh, we could go into Friday Night Lights. I mean, because it's short. You know, it's it's yeah, short. These two, we'll do do this in the schedule, and then we'll jump back into. Uh, yeah, Los Lo Al got blown out by Modern Day, which was you know we knew that was going to happen. It, it, Los Al just doesn't have uh, the players uh, in the interior on the line. Um, they're just not at that level at this point, you know, they, they even going over 
to, to American heritage across the country to go play in Florida. It was like, yeah, that that's that's the kind of stuff that De La Salle, Modern Day, and and you know Long Beach Poly when they were rolling, and think John Bosco. You gotta you gotta work your way up to that. I, I think to to be competitive at those levels. And it, Los Salle is kind of new, even though you know back in the Jim Barnes days, they were one of the better teams in Southern California year in and year out. They're, they still were not at that modern day level. You know, modern day has been doing this for decades. And St. John Bosco is now at that level where they can kind of go out there and they can start to play teams nationally. Um, but it takes a lot. It takes just a lot program wise to be able to, to play at that level. And, and yeah, they're just not quite there yet. And, and, and this is, you know, an interesting sort of parallel, I think, in, in the fear that Trojan fans have is that they don't want USC to be a Los Alamitos. They don't want USC to be you know, great quarterback, great receivers, great skill players, got a couple players here and there on defense. But in terms of the substance of the discipline and the physicalness and, and you know, the, the, that just sort of worked-in tradition of having great lines and, and just being so good fundamentally that it's just really hard to beat. That's – what they want to see developed, you know, they want to see USC be modern day and not Los Al. They, you know, modern day is sort of the SEC team at this point, the, the, the Ohio state, the team that has a bunch of talent at a bunch of positions, but they also have the guys up front that whether they're being recruited highly or not, they know the program, they know the scheme, they're physical, they're playing for each other. And they're just so hard to beat, you know, because they're just so fundamentally sound from that standpoint. So that game uh, being a blowout. So the last uh, high school game for Makai Lemon and uh, Malachi Nelson, uh, I went out to Etiwanda and the Santa Ana winds. Went to see the future. To go watch the uh, far future. uh, To go watch losing her freshman linebacker, um, uh, Samu Moola, who has no relation to Fili Moola. Uh, or any of the other Moolas that you're probably uh, familiar with. Uh, the Moola name is very popular in Southern California when it comes to high school athletes. But most of those athletes were Tongan. And Samu is actually Samoan. So uh, that was surprising. And he even admitted, he goes, yeah, I know it's a Tongan name. The Tongans <laughs> kind of took over the Moola name. But uh, I'm actually Samoan. And his connection, his family connection, is actually with Fred Matua, the late Fred Matua, uh, rest in peace, who's passed away. He actually as uh, uh, kind of like an uncle cousin of uh, Samu. And so um, he was at USC over the summer and um, we probably had some pictures of him and, and didn't probably recognize him or, or really know to look for him. Uh, but uh, he, he, he was at one of the elite camps and uh, talked to Brian Odom and, and had a really great relationship with Brian Odom, uh, even though Utah was his first offer. And it was a huge offer for him. He said, you know, the USC offer, cause I already, you know, I'd been to their camp and, I met Brian Odom and he was just really cool and he was really great. It took a lot of time to, to talk to me. And uh, he ends up getting that scholarship offer. I believe it was after the ASU game. And uh, so I went to go see him, you know, check him out. Uh, 2026, folks. 2026, where are you going to be in 2026? Where is his world going to be in 2026? You start to wonder. Uh, Will there be Twitter in 2026? I don't know. I, I tell you, I tell you. He just was super, super productive. Uh, started out playing defensive end, and that's out, out of position for him. He's played mostly middle linebacker. He's 6'3", about 225, 220. And, um, I mean, he he set the edge really well. He had a couple tackles for losses. He did a really good job containing 
on his side of, of the defense. And then they moved him somewhere in the second quarter in back at middle linebacker. And again, just super productive, made a bunch of tackles. Um, you know, speed wise is going to be a question. He's got to get faster to play middle linebacker for USC. Uh, and so, you know, maybe he grows into being more of an end sort of edge rusher. Um, like I said, he, he's listed at 6'3", 230. I think he's probably closer to about uh, 6'1 and a half, 6'2", uh, probably 220, 225. Um, so we'll see. You know, he, he said he really enjoyed playing rush end. It, it was new for him. He's never played both those positions in one game during the season. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just just really, really productive. I mean, for a freshman, uh, that was that was surprising. I, I didn't think he was going to be uh, make that many plays and just be in on that many plays. So uh, that that was uh, kind of a good game. It was super windy. It was Fontana in November. So uh, I think Etiwanda is, is technically uh, looked at as Ranch Cucamonga, but we all know out there in the IE that uh, you get on that other side of the 15 freeway, you are in Fontana, folks, because the wind coming down from the Cajon Pass is going to blow. And so uh, it was uh, super, it wasn't super windy. It wasn't that bad. It was, it was like 15, 20 mile per hour winds. And then the gusts were up around 40 mile per hour. And so um, it was a controversial game. Uh, Losinger ends up losing 21, 22. Uh, got, you know, down there in the fourth quarter and uh, they got two pass interference penalties, which you never like to see the refs kind of become a part of the game and make an impact of the game. But it was fourth and one. They got a pass interference penalty. And then there was right the next play. They got another pass interference penalty, and it was basically they don't want to just, you know, uh, they just ran in for for a touchdown. And there was about a minute 19 left in the game, but they were going towards the wind. Uh, and Awanda had the wind at their back in the fourth quarter, which, you know, uh, probably the coin toss they knew. And uh, you just – it was so tough to throw the ball into the wind. Um, and uh, they end up uh, running out of time. And uh, the losing your coaches weren't happy uh, with the refs. And, you know, there was uh, certainly some conversations afterwards. The refs uh, try to get off the field as fast as possible. Um, but uh, Etiwanda moves on to the uh, championship game. I, I can't remember what division that is. I think it's like five or four. And uh, they're going to play St. Francis um, now, uh, which is, uh, I believe, La Cunada St. Francis. Uh, shout out to Dietrich Riley, old USC target that went to UCLA. That was the last recruit that I remember from St. Francis, La Cunada. I think USC has looked at a couple of uh, 2025 linemen, maybe 2024 linemen from St. Francis. Uh, I think they've got a tight end too as well. Um, so they'd be playing at Etiwanda. They're going to go all the way out to that. They'll be playing at Etiwanda. Um, and another game that we covered uh, last Friday was uh, Bosco at Mission Viejo, which turned out to be a huge blowout. Chris Trevino, who is our Bosco beat writer, he was at the game. Uh, how did that game go for you? Yeah, I was getting some uh, crap from some of the the Bosco coaches that I know that this was actually the first Bosco game that I've covered all season. Gerard, or excuse me, not Gerard, Jarrett Perez, excuse me, uh, five stars only Jarrett Perez, has done three Bosco games, I believe, uh, including the one we both saw. Yeah, you um, were at a you were at a modern you were at modern day Milani that was absolutely Bosco. At Bosco, yes, yeah, yeah, at yeah, Bosco. Cool. So it was a little bit tricky on my mind, but yeah, my first Bosco game, and you know this one had some interesting storylines. You know, with Chad Johnson being on the other side of Mr. Viejo, he was the offensive coordinator for Bosco, considered you know the best QB guru uh, in the high school ranks in Southern California, uh, training you know DJ and Josh Rosen. So a lot of respect and went off to coach, get his own program at Mission Viejo and has had the uh, the Diablos, I believe is what they're uh, they're called. Yes, the Diablos has them on a good trajectory. But just unfortunately, you know, when you're in the Division One bracket, it's basically going to come down to Bosco and Modern Day. 
maybe, you know, another Trinity League having an amazing year a la Servite last year. But, you know, Bosco, just too much for Michigan Viejo. Michigan Viejo, surprisingly, talking to some of the Bosco coaches, they were surprised that Michigan Viejo was trying to run as much as they did against Bosco's front, which was not working at all. And then Bosco's offense, right off the bat, scored two touchdowns in their on their first two drives in two plays. So one play drives for their first two drives, up 14 nothing on the road, and it was downhill from there. And Bosco kept scoring and scoring, and Michigan Viejo could not get anything going. Only scored six points on the night. I believe the final score was 41 to six. And I went in there going to watch uh, Peyton Woodyard, and I ended up being all over in terms of filming the four-star linebacker Kingston Biliamu Asa, who, you know, high-profile recruit to start out in his first ranking in the 2024 rankings. I believe he was top 10, number one player in California, has taken a dip uh, down the rankings and, you know, has to do with him suffering a, a serious knee injury his sophomore year, missing a lot of time, been working his way back. But he looked like the old Kingston that people saw, you know, his freshman year and early in his sophomore year before he got hurt in that that spring season uh, in 2020. And he was all over the ball. They were moving him all around. But most of the part, most of the time he was rushing off the edge and he would rush like a bat out of hell. And he was hitting people. And whenever the ball was around, he was on top. And even if he wasn't the one making the initial tackle, he was jumping on that pile. He was coming in there, crashing into dudes. So I really liked his physicality. I really liked what he was doing off the edge. And I was really impressed with him. And I, I you know, I think there was a uh, some hesitancy as to where he was in terms of his importance for USC because he was kind of falling down the rankings. But he's a the guy they keep bringing on campus. And I think just seeing him play, I think he's fully back from that knee injury. And he looked great. He looked active. He was in coverage a lot, too. So he's athletic enough to drop into space and rush off the edge. He can just do it all. So I think he needs to be a high priority uh, for this USC defense. Alex Grinch, Brian Oda moving forward. Yeah, I was surprised at that score because – I think Michigan Viejo is a little better, you know. I was also surprised. I was also I thought it would be more competitive in the first, and then they would pull away at the end. Not an absolute uh, beatdown like that. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a bit surprising. I mean, they they do look like they're like you said, trajectory wise, they've improved over the years, and I, I thought they had a pretty good team this year. But I mean, you know, the gap between uh, Bosco and Modern Day and everybody else it seems to be pretty big this year. Um, you know, we did see that that run by Servite, which was uh, nice to see <laughs> some other school kind of uh, get in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, going forward, I don't know that we're going to see much difference uh, all the way into uh, 2025 because Bosco and Modern Day have a plethora of young talent. And it's not just the skill positions, but, you know, I know Bosco and Modern Day are both very good at the offensive lines and defensive lines, uh, particularly the offensive lines. They've got some guys in the 2026 and 2025 classes um, that are really good. And this kind of goes into uh, talking a little bit about the recruiting angle, because something that we've brought up in various different uh, recruiting angle features coming away from various games is where USC is in their offense going forward. Okay. So, 
you know, this year, obviously, you've got uh, Jordan Addison, a Blitnikoff winner. Uh, you get um, you know, several high-profile receiver transfers, Mario Williams. Uh, you get Terrell Bynum. You get Brendan Rice. And you've got Caleb Williams there. And the passing game has been the focal point for USC this season. But when you look ahead and you see what they're doing with the run game now, and you see the players that they've recruited in the 2023 class, and the potential players for 2024, and then getting to 2025. And we're talking about local players. We're talking about guys like DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baxter, uh, Baker, excuse me, uh, that are, you know, local guys that they will have a shot at. You know, these are not guys that have to go across the country to recruit. You know, Modern Day and Bosco both have some really good-looking offensive linemen coming through uh, the, the, the hall. And they're guys that, I mean, mostly interior guys. So, you know, as an offense, you're seeing them get bigger. You're seeing them have the capability to recruit offensive linemen that are bigger, that are more sort of lean forward, kind of juggernaut type run blocking offensive linemen. And looking at what they have right now, I think one of the positives coming from the UCLA game is that without Travis Dye, the running game looked as good as it's looked. And it was against a defense that can give you some problems here and there. It's not a great defense, but up front, it's not a bad run defense. And there was a run deep, or excuse me, it's a UCLA defense that uh, a little better in terms of pass rush, or a little streaky with their pass rush. You know, there's some games where they look like they got a good pass rush, and there's some games where, they, you know, they give up some plays and they're not getting to the quarterback like you think that they should. Um, but this is one of the better UCLA teams that I've seen in recent years. And, and, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, it's a UCLA team that I think is better than any of the teams that I saw with Jim Mora and maybe better than any of the teams I saw with Rick Neuheisel. I think those teams were a bit more gimmicky. And this UCLA team, while it doesn't have the talent some of those teams had, uh, they're just better at blocking, tackling, and running. And so one of the first teams that USC has beaten that I think is a legitimate you know, team that, that could go to a bowl game and, and beat some other teams. You've got a, a, a quarterback there with experience. Uh, the positive is that USC was able – to offensively kind of do whatever they wanted. They had left points on the board. Uh, they they had a couple plays there early on where they get down 14 nothing, where they they probably should have scored on those drives. And they're still able, and this has been you know a theme from a couple of these games just the past couple months. They're leaving points on the field and they're still scoring 40 plus. Like that's crazy. That's that's insane. And they still you feel like could run the ball more as well. That's the thing that I think, you know, looking forward in terms of what this offense will do, you're going to lose Caleb Williams. You're going to have a new quarterback there. It might be Malachi Nelson is a redshirt freshman. Um, you're going to want to run the ball and you're bringing in some good running backs and Quentin Joyner and Amir Peterson, two guys that are 200 pounds plus. So again, sort of with that theme of being a little more of a power rushing team, um, you know, they probably, if that's their inclination, and Lincoln Riley sort of wants to, 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 to bulk up and to, to uh, reinforce the running game moving forward and become a little more of a running team, maybe not next year, but in 2024 when you go to the Big Ten, uh, you might want to go to the portal and, and grab a guy too. 
Uh, usually, when you're talking about running back depth charts, the teams that really are balanced and they want to run the ball and they want to establish a run, you're going to have five or six running backs. And right now, USC's got four scholarship running backs. They've got two senior running backs there. So Austin Jones is a senior. Travis Dye is a senior. We know Travis Dye is gone. Austin Jones, we're not sure because, you know, this is going to be his first real run. These next two, three games, can, uh, taking into account the bowl game as well, this is going to be kind of his first run as a, as a starter and being the guy. And if he runs like he did against UCLA, where he had 120 yards rushing, then he'll probably lead too. He'll probably go and, and try to, you know, see if he can get drafted uh, in the NFL. And so you're going to lose your top two running backs. And so from a recruiting standpoint, it's good because you're bringing in two running backs and you feel good about that. It's also good because the two guys you brought in as transfers, you were able to plug in and play and they're able to be successful right away. And running backs that are going to be in the transfer portal and guys that you might want to bring in, they're going to be very attracted to USC because of what Lincoln Riley has been able to do with those running backs right away. You know, the instant success, if you will. So it's not just the offensive success, but, They've done well running the ball, and they can definitely be a better running team going forward, seeing the offensive linemen they're going to bring back and seeing the offensive linemen that they're going to have in the future. So I think that's very much a positive coming away from that UCLA game. They're city champs, which is, you know, sort of a good thing. You're, you're reestablishing yourself as uh, the, 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 the local power in Los Angeles for the local kids, and that's something that resonates, you know, a little down the down the down the, the classes to, to, to 2026, 2027, you know, it's like, you know, are you a USC fan, a UCLA fan? Where did you grow up? Who did you grow up liking for? You don't want UCLA to have that kind of run where you get all of a sudden these kids come, you know, coming out of middle school, going into high school saying, well, you know, I, I watched UCLA. I liked UCLA because, you know, they were more of a winning program. You got to understand USC's coming away from some dark years under Clay Helton. And so they kind of reestablished themselves as city champs, which, uh, you know, first year of Lincoln Riley's big. You know, you get double-digit wins, which I don't think either of us really were predicting before the season. I think, uh, you know, we're talking eight, nine wins. You know, now they're at 10 wins, which I think is amazing, the first year of Lincoln Riley. And Caleb Williams is a legitimate Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. You know, he's got that campaign. And if he's able to win this year or next year, you look at how that resonates throughout the years from a recruiting standpoint. You know, there's kids now today that still talk about Reggie Bush and they still talk about Matt Liner. You know, those years where you you have national championships and you have Heisman Trophy winners and you have award winners just across the board. Tuli, Tuli Pelotu is another guy that's going to be, he's a Nagurski uh, award list um, potential candidate, potential first round pick. That stuff resonates with recruits, not just in the 2023 class, but more so 2024, 2025, 2026 going forward. Um, that's huge for USC. This is going to be, you know, really a run here for Caleb Williams the next two two games, which it, it could be what wins him the Heisman Trophy. I think if he plays like he's been playing and they win these next two games, I think he might be the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So in terms of positives for the UCLA game, that's that's definitely what uh, what resonated with me. Absolutely. And can we just harp on two elephants in the room when it comes to UCLA? Uh, well, I know there's one and then we have the soundboard. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Biggest oh, head, you, the head like an elephant. Jay Toya on Jay the other Toya side with the, with the Pendergast paralysis there for a, uh, for a moment. 
And I thought it was nice that Tuli Tupelotu, Brandon Peely, and Stanley Tauafu came out to wish him off when he was helped off the field. I thought that was a, a classy move, even though, you know, there was a lot of controversy around him leaving the program. But I just had to point out, you know, one of the most all-time sound bites of Clay Helton's era. Biggest head I've ever seen. Head like an elephant. Was, you know, on the other side. And then the other one, you don't know the other one? That's a positive for USC? No, not a positive. Just something oh. I'm throwing out there. No, I, I of all the people's, uh, of all the people I would try to read their mind, you would probably be very low on the list, Chris. I, I, well, that's rude, first I, of all. Uh, <laughs> but the love of Clay Helton's life. Totally. What? What about him? You broke up. <laughs> Toa Lobendon. What? No, sorry, not the. T- sorry, I miss. I misread that. The deep dark love of his life. Oh, I'm blanking on that one. Um, Leatu Latu. No, was that yes? It? Yes. Oh yeah, from from up north California. I was getting confused with Cameron Latu from, but he's from Utah and went to Alabama. Um, yeah, yeah. Went to I Washington. Medically yeah, retired. Went in the portal, found a new home in UCLA, leading them in t- tackles and sacks. Had a sack on Caleb Williams. The deep, dark love of Clay Helen's life. Over at UCLA, that's got to hurt. Realize that was- I also did not realize well, it was him until I looked it up when I was doing stat checking. <laughs> well, that, exactly. I didn't either. I didn't. I mean, I've, I've been watching him the whole season going, yeah, he's good. <laughs> I'm like. Yeah, man, that dude came out of nowhere, and I didn't even put two and two together that that was him. Deep, dark love, Gerard. Yeah, that was the weirdest. Uh, there's There was some weird stuff, you know. I mean, somebody was asking me about USC recruiting IMG and have they had any success recruiting IMG. And I was like, well, yeah, Britton Allen. You know, the safety from IMG was kind of a, a later pickup for USC. He decommitted from Georgia Tech. And I'm like, yeah, but the the connection there was like this really weird connection, and I always forget his name, Joe DeForest, who was DeForest, baby. analyst who became a full time linebackers coach, and he had some connections to one of the coaches there at IMG or whatever, and they were able to recruit him. But I started thinking to myself, Joe DeForest, it was a weird sort of soundbite about him tucking in Clay Helton's daughter or something, or telling her. Bedtime stories, or he had some type of weird connection. <laughs> I <laughs> like, remember I was in, that. Like, there, was, there was always some kind of <laughs> cringy, weird stuff that came across with, with, uh, oh, with no. the Clay Helton era, man. Like, oh no! <laughs> like oh, why? No. Why? Why deep dark love? Like he actually told a recruit that, and that just—I don't even know. Like, I mean, now actually, he—we're not making this up. This is what Latu actually told us at the Under Armour camp. I remember us laughing about it afterwards when we we're eating lunch and and you said that was a weird i got like one of the weirdest quotes from a kid that I've heard before in my life and i've heard some weird stuff i've only like, i'd only been doing recruiting for like three years i was like is this normal is this a normal soundbite this doesn't sound normal but he had already said that about toa lobendon so it wasn't it's like well i guess yeah i guess that's like a toa lobendon thing like he's the new toa and uh, and they still weren't able to get him, even after saying something that. I think I had a crystal ball in for him, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to find that story. I know that's the story's in the system. I'm going to try to find it, but you can go into the negatives now. 
Uh, yeah, after that. Um, the, one of the biggest negatives uh, for this game is the fact that UCLA just doesn't recruit high school kids. <laughs> They've been completely aloof. And, you know, Chip Kelly's just not really interested in projecting a whole bunch of high school kids. They kind of got a little active there, you know, when they, they started feeling themselves and they're undefeated. And they started having some guys come in on unofficial visits. But for this past game, there really weren't a ton of unofficial visitors. Uh, T.A. Cunningham was supposedly supposed to get to the game. We didn't see him. The guys that we saw, him. the only guys that we saw were, I guess, what? DeAndre Carter was. The saw him. Movie. Yeah. The target that USC is actually after. There might have been other guys there. We know Marcellus Williams was there because, you know, his brother Max is playing uh, for USC. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the – there were probably some other guys in the stands, but in terms of being hosted by UCLA on the sidelines pregame, you know, getting loved up and what have you, DeAndre Carter was the only guy that uh, is, is a USC target. And it's just USC and UCLA, the recruiting battles have been very infrequent head to head. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was a great atmosphere and everything, but it was, it was lost because there were just a lot of guys. And I reached out to a bunch of guys afterwards, like, Hey, did you happen to see the UCLA game? Were you at the UCLA game? There were quite a few guys that had gone up to Oregon last weekend. So, you know, they weren't able to see the game. Uh, so from that standpoint, in terms of exposure, it was not as good as you would think. You know, a normal UCLA, USC game, you would have a ton of four-star guys there uh, locally. Ah, it didn't seem like that actually was the case. So, you know, that was something. And I think, you know, the thing that continues – on for USC is the defensive perception that recruits have and that USC is really only able to outscore teams to win games. And, you know, that's just something that they've got to change with, you know, on the field production. Yes. You've seen plenty of turnovers and plenty of highlight plays. And I know that helps, you know, when you've got a guy like Tuli Tui Polotu that's on all these award lists. Um, We talked about him ad nauseum, you know, the blueprint for Mateo Ungulale and other defensive linemen, and you've got to find that replacement. You have that guy to recruit off of, you know, what he's been able to do. I think he's like third in the nation in sacks right now. Um, and, and Makai Blackman, that's another guy that USC has been able to hang their hat on uh, in terms of a player development. I mean, people always talk about, you know, Dante Williams is a great recruiter, how good of a coach he is. I, I mean, Makai Blackman is such a better player this year than he was last year. We was at, at at Colorado. It's not even funny. I mean, that is 100% a, a player development um, sort of example that USC can use a, a guy that's going to go and get drafted in the NFL. Now um, I think, you know, they have plenty of that in the, 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 the ability to bring that into in-home visits and, and have that on the resume is going to be a factor. It's going to help. Uh, but the overall sort of perception, and this goes back to those DFW recruits that we talked about over the summer, coming away from Oklahoma and people feeling like, well, Oklahoma doesn't play defense. So if you're the defensive player, you don't go to Oklahoma. You go to Oklahoma if you're an offensive player, if you're a quarterback. You know, that's 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 what Lincoln Riley's about. That's where they've been successful. They've got to change that. You know, they've got to change that perception. And it's gonna it's gonna come in terms of playing. Uh, on the field and, and not giving up as many points. And I know there's somebody out there saying, well, you know, Alabama gave up this many points and and this team and that team gave up this many points to this team and that team. I understand college football is evolving and, and there's more offense uh, that's evolved uh, with it, but, you know, you still got to play defense and you still have to have some of those games where 
you know, you're beating teams 24 to seven and what have you, because when you look at your Ohio States and you look at your um, Georgias and, and, and those type of schools that have been there year in and year out, they're still winning those games too. You know, they're still, you know, I think Georgia won 16 to seven, I think uh, last weekend against uh, Kentucky on the road. And that's an ugly game for Georgia, but I mean, people are coming away saying, well, Georgia's got a great defense. You know, that's a great defensive win. Now it does it hurt their, their, their offensive recruiting to some extent. Yeah, I'm sure it does to some extent, but they also have some blowout wins against teams that are, that are bad. And that tends to be the balance. That's what you really want. You know, you want your offense to blow out the teams that are not good and you use those to get your stats and, you know, kind of get people's attention. But if you continue to win games, your quarterback's going to get good attention. You know, the the, the offense is going to get its attention if you're winning games, but defensively, if you're giving up a bunch of points, you're in a year or game in a game out, you're in and you're out. There's going to be that perception of, of you're not developing your defensive players. Uh, fair or not, you know, you, you, it's just the way it's going to be. So this is another game where, you know, you're giving up 45 points and there were some, there were some drives there where USC just looked like I mean, they weren't, they weren't there for that drive. You know, like it, it was like, okay, so you're going to, you're going to play defense uh, in the next drive. Cause that last drive UCLA went right down the field and uh, you know, it doesn't help, you know, when you're kicking the ball to midfield and these pooch punches and things like that, um, that, uh, that kickoff was a little bit of a strange one and UCLA uh, scores on the next play. Um, so they got to, yeah, they got to Im- improve a little bit on that area. Uh, that's something that um, I think they're 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 working against. You know, maybe even with Mateo and Galay, some of these guys that they have, you know, in that tier one, trying to close the deal with. Uh, I think that's you know, it's it's that reputation of uh, you know, it's just an offensive team that tries to outscore people, and they don't actually have good defense, um, and they're not getting guys drafted on the defensive side of the ball. Do you want to give a little bit of love to one Darwin Barlow? Yeah, I mean. We talked about him last week because, you know, he had a nice end of the game and uh, still a guy that, you know, 6-1-2-15, that's going to be the guy that if they lose Jones, you know, you're going to want to see him be able to kind of step up and be that guy. Maybe they get a, a transfer in and, and, and there'll be competition there and what have you. But, um, yeah, there's certain things that I understand or they're not his strengths in the offense. I don't think he's the receiver. The guys are, are a protector, you know, in, in terms of blocking. And, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a little different player. He, he's coming from Newton high school in East Texas. And, and one thing I know about Newton is they don't throw the ball a lot. Uh, so, you know, even with Keontae Ingram, who was a really good receiver, uh, coming from East Texas, he didn't come from Newton and Newton is, uh, I mean, they, they, they run the ball. That's just what they're known for. And so I think with Darren Barlow, he just didn't come from a background in high school where he had caught the ball and he had to pass protect a lot and do those other things, which are, are required, obviously, in Lincoln Riley's offense. But one thing he does do, he's a slasher. He runs. He doesn't go down from the point, first point of contact. He's got a little bit of something in him in terms of a speed. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know, you love seeing those physical runs from him. And, and again, looking forward, you know, 2023, 2024, this offense, man, it, it could really be good uh, on the ground. It could be a really good run offense. And thank you for that. And that really wraps up the recruiting angle of this game. Now, we did have, you know, week college for, week 14 of college football and Friday night schedule for this week. But, Gerard, why don't you say we just combine them? Combine them? <laughs> well, I mean, we could go through them super fast. I mean, there's only a couple games that uh, are – For each. Uh, for each. Yeah, for each, because of you know the, what we're at that point of the year 
uh, where there, you know, obviously only so many playoff teams left for CIF. And uh, the biggest game going to be modern day playing against St. John Bosco at the Rose Bowl for the Open Championship, CIF Championship, a, a rematch of a game that, uh, you know, modern day won earlier in the season in the Trinity League, which a lot of people thought St. John Bosco was going to win that game. And modern day would win the playoff game later in the year. So kind of interesting that uh, St. John Bosco is trying to get revenge uh, on modern day in uh, the championship. A big game out in Arizona, Highland, uh, Gilbert, which uh, has uh, Caleb Lamu. We saw them play earlier in the year against Pinnacle, a game they won 25 nothing. They're going to be playing uh, South Point Catholic, who has Elijah Rushing. So we're going to see Elijah Rushing versus Caleb Lamu, uh, a very nice matchup. Elijah Rushing, the 2024 defensive end, 6'5", 240, uh, one of the better players we saw at the Under Armour camp earlier in the year. Uh, so that's a, a good one-on-one matchup, seeing Caleb Lamu against Eliza Rushing in Arizona. Uh, Arizona, like I said, still has a, a couple more games to go in the playoffs before they get to their championships. And you're also going to see San Jacinto versus Orange, which is in one of the lower divisions. I think it's like six, maybe. Uh, Orange uh, has uh, USC committed. 2025 cornerback Jet White. Aaron White. Jet White. Yeah. And uh, so Orange um, been able to – to fight their way, you know, through the playoffs and and get to a point where uh, they're actually going to be in the divisional championship game. Uh, so, uh, you know, congrats to them on that. And, Did you say uh, division one? No, division. It's like division seven or something. Oh, like okay. That. Division, I can't remember what the bracket is, but I, I, the brackets now are, I, I think the way CIF does it is leagues are sort of whatever. And then they throw teams in brackets from, from an enrollment standpoint. And so, you there are some teams that like you'll see are like you know they've won four games or five games uh in the regular season and you're like how are they a playoff team but it's by enrollment so they get shifted down and you end up getting a team like colony last year ended up um i think they won four games in the regular season and they ended up winning their divisional title because they've just been playing outside of their division um or of their enrollment i guess during during the regular season so it's a bit topsy-turvy you know when you get to the playoffs but um, yeah, Orange is in a in a lower division, but they have uh, the championship game, and that's going to be out at I think uh, El Medina, so that's going to be a home game um, for them this uh, this weekend. And uh, college football, what are we week fourteen at this point? Can't can't something remember, like that. <laughs> sure, uh, Oregon and Oregon State, obviously a very big game. Oregon State wins; they're going to knock Oregon out of uh, the uh, the Pac twelve championship game. That is going to be at Oregon State, so uh, they'll get uh, some of that. Uh, Artificial sound pumped in for that one, uh, which, you know, I think <laughs> USC players are like still saying like the the, the most difficult hostile environment that we yeah. played in was at Corvallis where half the stadium was full, <laughs> which <laughs> tells you how loud uh, the PA system was uh, with that uh, home crowd. Um, you're going to have Washington at Washington State. Washington State just beat um, uh, Arizona who I think they're almost the same team, except for Arizona's got some better receivers. Um, so Washington State was able to take care of Arizona, and now they're going to host Washington. So that'll be interesting uh, to see uh, how that plays out the Apple Cup. And UCLA playing at Cal Friday. So quick turnaround for UCLA. A lot of people saying that's a trap game for them to play at Cal. Uh, I think they'll be Cal. I think they're just a, a little better team. they got more weapons. Um, you know, UCLA can run the ball. Like I said, Utah and UCLA are really the only teams that I think they're really good teams that USC has played. And, um, you know, beating UCLA, I think, you know, that, that I picked them to lose to UCLA. Uh, I was one of those guys. I was one of those, as the Peristyle has now started to say, haters, which annoys me because that's completely not how 
the word should be used. Hater is not somebody who just has any doubt, has doubt. There's a, there's a difference between being a doubter and a hater, right? You know, you're a millennial, Chris. You, you, you know that the word hater, it, it comes from, I mean, to my knowledge, it comes from rap. And you used to talk about mm-hmm. the haters because they'd be hating on you. They'd be yeah. hating on your lyrics. They'd be hating on your <laughs> albums and your, and your swag. And it's like, that's because people are constantly saying negative things about you and are constantly trying to uh, undercut things that you do positively. Saying, I think USC is going to lose a close game to UCLA is not a hater. But I was one of the haters, according to the Peristyle, that doubted USC beating UCLA. I thought it'd be a close game, but I thought USC would lose. I thought, uh, you know, I, I really put it on, was uh, DTR going to turn the ball over or not? I, I thought it would kind of be the game that we saw, but DTR wouldn't have those interceptions certainly wouldn't have that uh that many fumble that fumble. well the fumble was the oh. big one you know where you basically put usc there on the 10 yard line um that was uh kind of one of the, the the biggest ones um but uh i thought it would be a you know a high scoring game back and forth i didn't think the running game would be all that big of an issue for usc between the 20s i thought they would play well defensively against the run it's a usc you wouldn't believe it just looking at the yards that they've given up but they play well against the other offense's strengths. Their, their, their strength, they tend to shut down. They they shut down the run against Utah. They shut down the run against Oregon State. It, it's always that other thing. You know, it's, it's okay, well, we're going to get the wall to our tight end. I'll play action now. And then they're like, oh, we don't have an answer for that. And that was kind of true against UCLA, too. The play action uh, against the flow of the play, I mean, they were just, oh, my gosh, they were so bad. And that's the second level of USC's defense just got to get better, got to get better athletes, got to get better players. You just, you see it, you know, and with Eric Gentry on the field, it's like, Oh God. And, uh, and, and Notre Dame is absolutely positively going to attack that. They're going to try to get Michael Mayer, the football as much as possible. They're going to try to get him 30 receptions in this game. I mean, that's, that's what they're trying to run the ball and try to get it to that, that sort of that, uh, that second level of the defense and exploit them. So, you know, USC has got to be ready for that, but I think they will be ready for the run first and foremost, and that's, um, you know, people, Notre Dame fans think they're just going to run through USC. You know, like, oh, that's USC, you got no defense. You know, it's the old Oklahoma team. You can just line up in the I formation and run the ball. And not this USC defense. They, they, they've been, they've been, like I said, surprisingly good against the other team's greatest strength. And with that, you kind of went back into recruiting angle, but that's fine a little bit, but it, it's cool. We're, 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 we're okay with it. It happens. Uh, and with that, I think it's time for some listener questions, Gerard, to wrap up this show. Let's do it. Where are we at? I mean, we're probably we're probably way way over. We're going to get blamed for uh, being too long. Uh, we're not that way over. We're about two hours and twenty minutes. Okay, we should actually stop right now and not do listener questions, right? Isn't well, that, did did that kind of get blown out though? Because they won only by three points with the two <laughs> hours twenty. But they won. I, I think it's just as long as we have a podcast, right? Isn't that it? Isn't I that guess. It? That's the I one guess game they lost. Was, was the, game, the one we didn't. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll that's never easier. know. That's easier. That's easier to, uh, to, to, to put on our shoulders. But for the theorem, yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But just a reminder, if you got a recruiting question for us, you can email us at podcast.usable.com. Just make sure you put the composite, cilantro boys, 10K, what have you, hurricane. You can also DM me questions. That happens quite frequently. And Gerard, I got four questions for you, including a voicemail. I don't really know what the voicemail says. My prediction is it's Eddie from Orange because he's the only one that leaves his voicemails. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, question for a composite two-star podcast. 
Long-time listener, first-time caller, if you will. Big fan of 16K and Gerald with SC's overall success in the porthole under Riley prior to the season. Number one transfer class, including a few of the top 10 guys available, Caleb, Addison, Mario, Gentry. Does that make the Trojans a more popular destination among porthole entrants on December 5th? Would it be safe to say Riley and staff are trending as a top destination for transfers? Beat the Irish. Steve from Tuscaloosa. Gerard, what say you? Absolutely. Now, there was some some little uh, some some Easter eggs there, uh, but I don't know if the Easter eggs were right. Called you 16K, which I think 18K is what the meme is. Uh, yes, but it's just referring to me being having 16K followers at this point. Oh, OK. Wow. So so yeah. even 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 more knowledgeable with the Easter eggs than I. So, all okay. right. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, Steve. Okay. I see you, Steve. I see you, Gerald. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we've, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, that is, you know, a recruiting angle piece that's kind of developed over the season. It's Makai Blackman. It's Travis Dye. It's Caleb Williams. It's um, Jordan Addison. It's all those players that have come in. Um, even a guy, you know, one, one guy we didn't talk about uh, with the recruiting angle is Tyrone Telene. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's a guy that's coming from Kansas State. Not looked at as a as a as a marquee type of transfer whatsoever, and has been a big contributor for USC. So you know, player development is a huge thing uh, to sell on the recruiting trail. You know, bringing guys in that are not necessarily four star, five star guys, but three star guys, and you can develop them into better players. And I think that's going to be key for USC on the defensive line, uh, particularly offensive line important too, but particularly with the defensive line, you're going to have to find some guys. You have to get in the weeds. Find some guys that are, you know, 250, um, 60, and you're going to have to bulk them up and develop them into 285, 290-pound defensive tackles, and they're going to have to contribute for you. And so that's a good sign for USC, but certainly Gentry, um, you know, Mario Williams, Addison, the, the marquee guys that have been there, they have played well, they're on a winning team uh, that could potentially go to the college football playoff in the first year of Lincoln Riley. It's crazy. And so the, the ability to plug and play, particularly with the offense, I think, you know, any guy that's like got a year left in, in, in his, in his career, uh, you know, we got to watch out for the, the, you know, the, the graduate transfers, but also the guys that are seniors that have a COVID year and they pop up out of nowhere. I mean, Jordan Addison, nobody was talking about Jordan Addison leaving Pitt uh, at this time last year. Like that was not a question and it really didn't come up until like we were at the end of spring ball. And so, mm-hmm. We got a long ways to go with this whole transfer portal. The first window opens up the 5th. It closes the 18th. Then it opens back up May 1st and goes to May 15th. So uh, we've, we've, we've got a long ways to go with this in, in terms of, you know, who's leaving and who's, who's coming in. But I think 100% that USC has done a lot to continue to make themselves a very attractive destination for transfers. They were already a pretty attractive destination. I mean, they've gotten some good transfers with Clay Helton. And so, yeah, you can imagine that uh, now that there's been a proof of concept, as, as Lincoln Riley calls it, and there's been uh, something shown on the field of the trajectory of the program and getting back to a national championship with L.A., NIL. I mean, that's the other aspect of this. Can NIL get figured out by USC? You know, can, does this become a crutch or does this become something that's a weapon for them to be able to, to grab some guys? and to get some guys away from an Alabama or Texas. I mean, they were able to do that with Jordan Addison. So can you get some more guys like that? Can you find those guys nationally that are not 
you know, we talked about like Trey Sanders, a, a guy that was a former five-star, but had a bunch of injuries, has not been productive in college. You need to go after the guys like Jordan Addison who are on, you know, lists and, and conference type players that are looking to get more exposure, that are looking for a good NIL deal and looking for player development to be a first round pick. And just to point out an interesting thing I didn't really think about, but three of the four turnovers created on Saturday came via transfers. Kai Blackman, Shane Lee, Tyrone Teleni, and then Latrell McCutcheon even picked up the fumble. The yep. only one was Kyle Ford at the end there. And then every touchdown offensively in that game was scored by a transfer outside of Kyle Ford's touchdown grab to from Caleb Williams. So, you know, transfers obviously have a huge f- uh, fingerprint on this program and what they're doing right now. And Tyrone Teleni has seven and a half tackles for a loss and five sacks this season, which is just really impressive for a guy who only had two sacks in his whole career, having not played uh, football for most of his life uh, coming from American Samoa. So, you know, it, a great development so far from uh, number 31. Great eye from Sean Nua, who, who obviously yeah. I mean, was probably – see, this is what I'm saying with the transfer portal. Sean Nua obviously had some connections with uh, Telene and kind of knew about him from, from somebody, trainers and other people uh, in Samoa. And, you know, Kansas State, which is a program that does, you know, more with less in terms of Shuko players and, and transfers and, and guys are not recruiting a bunch of four and five star guys there uh, for him to transfer there and not really do a lot. I mean, you're thinking, man, if, if Kansas State couldn't get anything from this dude, how, what is USC going to get from him? Right. So, I, I again, I mean, that it, there's a lot of good news there, a lot of good news just in terms of the player development angle, which I think is going to be huge. Um, yeah, you want to get a bunch of five-star defensive linemen like Georgia and Alabama, but it's not going to happen. It, it, you're you're going to be involved with some of those guys on occasion. You want to try to cherry-pick a guy from Texas or from back east here and there, but you're going to have to put in the work and find the guys on the West Coast that can end up contributing for you and be the Tuleys and the Tyrones and 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 you know might have to redshirt them, what have you, but through the system and through coaching end up being contributors and stars for you down the line. Absolutely. Uh, we have one from Matt in OC. While at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley did a good job of pulling Central California kids to Norman. The staff, the current staff, didn't get anyone in 2022, and it's not looking good for 2023. Is that because the talent is down the past years, or because they focus more on the LA area? That's from Matt from OC. Now, Gerard, I got in trouble with someone on the P for mislabeling NorCal and Central California, so I need a geography lesson. Well, I I mean, for me, Central California is technically everything north of Bakersfield. And, and some people would kind of say Bakersfield, Central California, too. I mean, it's definitely more like Central California than it is Los Angeles. But I don't know. Bakersfield's not that far away. I kind of feel like it's still a part of Southern California. I, that, I think, is, is, is debatable. But I kind of look at it everything north of Bakersfield um, to, to basically San Jose. And that's Central California. So geography-wise, it's mostly Fresno area. And I actually, I mean, this is not true because wasn't Devin Tompkins from Stockton? And that's Central California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they actually a... did get a Central California player uh, last cycle. You know, of the seven guys that they got. Um, and it's true, uh, the Oklahoma staff always out recruited USC and UCLA for Central California players. A lot of those Southeast guys went to uh, Central, I should say, Central East uh, guys went to 
Oklahoma and, and you know, going back to the T Shepherds and, and uh, um, just numerous players and Caleb Kelly. But how many of those guys actually ended up being guys? You know, a lot of those guys kind of ended up being busts. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, their, their connections there, you know, and, and certainly I think it's uh, a place that you've got to have your foot in the door and you've got to do your evaluations. And you can find really good players in Central California. But the guys that have been hyped up, uh, a lot of the guys, and, and technically Raleigh Brown is from Central California. I mean, he's mm-hmm. from the Austin area originally, but uh, moved to Southern California. Um, is Graham those, Bucky Central California? Well, he's Bakersfield. So, I, again, I, I, some people would say yes. Some people would say no. I, I would I would say no, technically. But, you know, again, I I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm from the IE, so uh, I'm not from Central <laughs> California. So I don't know. I, they might. They might. It's It's, you know, more agriculture. It's, I mean, if you live in central California, I mean, it's more like living in the Midwest and living in Southern California. I mean, even IE to some extent, it's like people ask me, you know, if I'm ever out of state and they're like, oh, you're from LA. I'm like, well, I'm from Inland Empire, which is east of LA. Oh, you live in East LA. No, East LA is East LA. Like, it's like Monterey Park. Like, that's about East LA. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm farther East LA. Like, I'm, I'm east of LA. I'm not East LA. And it's probably more like living in Cleveland than, than it is living in like Los Angeles, you know, which it's, it's not. I mean, it doesn't get freaking, you know, 20 degrees here with lake effect snow. But I mean, it just in terms of comparisons, yeah, all these different places in California, people don't realize like how eclectic California is in terms of these different little bio uh, biomes and, and, uh, and, and, and cultures and what have you. You know, Orange County is, is somewhat conservative um, than L.A. County and then the people in the IE. I mean, there was just a bill, and I don't, I don't remember it being actually on the ballot. But there was somebody was saying that San Bernardino County was threatening to try to secede from uh, California and uh, become like its own state, which it's the biggest county I think in the in the country. Uh, but a lot of that is Mojave Desert, and there's really not like areas that 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 are um, that are inhabited. But it's it's huge, and from a resource standpoint, I guess some of the politicians felt like you know LA County is taking more than than they deserve and what have you. And um, yeah. So, I mean, from a, from a politics standpoint, from a lifestyle standpoint, you know, even from a weather standpoint, like you're living in Riverside, you're living in, in San Bernardino, you're living in Bakersfield. It's all very different than, than LA, than, than, you know, Hermosa beach or, or, or Redondo beach or, you know, where, where USC is located. It's just, they're just very different places. Very different indeed. And thank you for the, the geography. I almost said history lesson. Thank you for the geography lesson. Gerard. I appreciate that. I think it's time we did our voicemail. And again, I have no idea what the question is. I'm assuming it's from Eddie from Orange County. So let's just jump into it real quick. Hi, this is for um, the Cilantro Bros for the recruiting podcast of Recruiting Podcast, the two-star recruiting podcast. A uh, quick question for Gerard, for Hurricane, for Gerald. Um you talked about a lot that, you know, US, uh, USC's defensive staffs in the past have placed, you know, players in the wrong position, um, and then eventually when they get to the NFL, they, they move into the right position. Would you agree that Alex Grinch is a genius, and um, he's slowly doing the right thing and moving Corey Foreman to free safety? Uh, I'll take your uh, answer off the line. Thank you. Eddie Orange. 
I always think it's going to be sort of maybe like not a serious question, but a not a playful troll question. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, he's just driving home from work. He's on the freeway, obviously. We can hear the traffic. He's bored. He's thinking back to his original voicemail, which, you know, was like his Alec Baldwin kind of whispering low voice and this very, yes, uh, what exactly are we going to do with Officer Lankford? I did not shoot that woman. Also, You're you. doing a great impression, by the way. Uh, I don't know. It's an impression of impression. Uh, you got to go and, uh, and uh, look at uh, the Kyle Dillingham impression, which is amazing, of, uh, of Alec Baldwin. But anyways... Um, so the question is, you know, is he going to move Corey Foreman back to free safety? It is an interesting question because it did come up in the peristyle, not him moving to free safety. That's obviously just uh, being a little bit facetious. But, you know, him, the way he was moving on that particular play and playing, you know, maybe linebacker, right? Like, because, like, holy crap, you know, the way he flowed from the swing route, which I, he might have been wrong on that assignment. Like, you know, that's like one of those things that I'd probably have to ask because I don't know that anybody in the beats like really looking at the X's and O's this way. But when I saw it, he sort of faded out there to, to almost the numbers. Right. And he's going to cover the running back out of the backfield. But I believe it was Max Brown that came over the top and had that covered completely. So I don't think he would want to double that route. So the defense really, he probably was in the wrong place originally. Kind of was like, here I go out to the flat and then realize, oh shit, no, that's already covered. I need to get back in side but he did so so gracefully and fluidly the way he flipped his hips and got back inside and then he made that catch like he was a freaking tight end I mean it was all hands he's got his tape all wrapped up I mean it was just beautiful it was just a beautiful pick and it was like okay yeah that's the five star you know that's one thing we didn't talk about on the recruiting angle I did mention it in the actual piece this is why you subscribe to usafootball.com because you actually get the details of the writing it's not just me riffing on what I wrote uh, but I did mention how big of a deal that is to continue to see Corey Foreman, um, you know, developed and become a star on the defense because a lot of guys still look at him. I mean, he is the former number one recruit in the nation. And and that, you know, I, I, I'm so, I guess, cynical at this point because I've been doing this long enough and it's like, yeah, whatever. There's, USC's had a bunch of number one recruits and five-star guys come and go through their classes during the years, even under Clay Helton. But there's guys like, you know, Dejan Lafitte, the 6'3", 285-pound defensive tackle, three-star out of Ontario Colony High School. And I talked to him over the weekend. Um, he was originally going to come in this weekend for an official visit. And we were talking about the game and everything. And he was like, I'm really, you know, happy my boy, Corey Foreman, made that play. Like, when I went down to USC, I talked to Corey Foreman. Like, he was like the number one dude in that class. And, and I'm like, God, guys looking up to him because he was the former number one player in the nation. And so to see him do well, like that's good for USC. It's good for USC. You know, we talked about Amon Marshall, you know, back in the Clay Helton era where, you know, former five-star guy, a lot of people looked at him as generational, generational talent. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's like fair or unfair. It just is what it is in terms of perception. If that guy turns out not to be, the guy everybody thought he was going to be and he ends up getting drafted in like the fourth round or fifth round instead of getting out his junior year and being a first round draft pick people start to talk and say well yeah you know you go to usc they don't develop their guys right you know and, and, and particularly when you don't have 
other guys getting drafted. That's the thing. You don't have other guys getting drafted, and the five-star guys are going there, and they're getting drafted low. It's just a bad sign to recruits and prospects, and, and, and not just them, but it's more the peripheral, the guys that have their ear. It's the trainers. It's the high school coaches. It's just the recruit, recruiting community as a whole locally. When those good local players go to your school and they bust out, it hurts you in recruiting. So Corey Foreman being able to make that play, fantastic. Um, I don't really think that he has uh, the speed to play linebacker. We're talking about you know USC getting more athletic at linebacker, not less athletic. And he's a player that can do that, though, as a defensive end. You know, he's like 260, 250. I'd like to see him continue to get bigger and continue to gain weight because I think he can do that regardless. I think he can gain 15 pounds of muscle, particularly in the upper body. He's got to get stronger, disengaging. He's one of those guys that has a good first move on his pass rush, but a lot of times he can take himself right out of the play because he's he's kind of got that pass rush first mentality. And it's like, dude, this is going to be a running play. you got to set the edge. And so he needs to be a little better at that fighting off blocks. But that particular play, which, it, I mean, poetic justice, because, you know, Peristyle has been chirping quite a bit about Tui, Tui Pelotu being back in coverage and Nick Figueroa dropping back in those zero blitzes where, you know, they may bring a linebacker and they peel off the defensive end. They call it a zero blitz because you're really not actually blitzing an extra guy because you're taking a guy off the line of scrimmage and just bringing a guy. So it's still, you know, you're only bringing four guys or maybe five guys. And they've been doing that this season. And for the most part, it hasn't been working very well. You know, there haven't been a whole lot of uh, good plays. There's been some plays where they've gotten, you know, Nick Figueroa on a running back running down the, the sideline and he's wide open and it's just not been, uh, very productive for USC from a schematic standpoint. But in this game, to seal the deal against UCLA, that was the play uh, that that won it. So it was uh, kind of poetic justice for Alex Grinch. And finally, it's a comment with multiple questions built in. Ted from Manhattan Beach says, here is a juicy question that follows the comments made by Gerard last week. Gerard, I hope you remember what you said last week. At that time, you mentioned how many players entering the portal have had their handlers and support members making contact with other schools well ahead of the player entering the portal. If you are speaking with a transfer portal player when they enter, you are already way behind. Add to this, how many players, especially star players, are going to, quote, test the water, test the market, excuse me, to see what is out there for them in terms of NIL money? Maybe they really want to leave. Maybe they just want to make NIL money. Maybe... They want to pressure their coaching staff. What are your thoughts on what this is going to look like? Might December portal players have a different interest than May portal players? Is this going to stress the free market agency nature of college sports? Thanks, Ted from Manhattan Beach. There's a yeah, lot so there. The, yeah, there's a lot to uh, unpack. And, and the first, you know, the first question is yes. I mean, we already talked about that um, being sort of ahead of the game. Uh, when it comes to transfer players. And, and if you're waiting for guys to actually be in the porthole to be aware of them potentially recruiting. Now, I, I mean, obviously you cannot be in direct contact with these players. So that's not what's happening. I mean, that might be what's happening, but that's illegal. And that's going to get you probably in trouble. It's more of the conversation through, you know, uh, proxies and, and people that that have the player's ear that those individuals are usually individuals reaching out ahead of time to, to feel out who's interested and, and what's out there and what could the offer be and how many players do you have here, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, Steve Wolfong, 
had, had tweeted that out as well. If uh, you know, you're know you waiting for a top player to enter the porthole, you're already behind. If you're waiting for him to officially get in the porthole, if, if that's when you start the process of, okay, what's our depth chart looking like? And okay, I mean, what, what can we bring him in this weekend? That already needs to be filled out. In fact, I would say that as a recruiting department, you have to almost have a transfer uh, kind of uh, a subgroup that is a, is a work group that works particularly on college football players and the best college football players and and having some some type of cursory evaluation of those players. So all guys that are like freshmen, sophomores, and then the guys that are going to be the upperclassmen that might not get drafted, that might want another year, and you could bring them in uh, and and they would fit your program to some extent and just have some type of knowledge of, you know, their, their high school coaches have some numbers, um, have some contacts. It's not illegal to, to, to contact high school coaches. It's not illegal to talk to trainers. It's not illegal to talk to any of those players, uh, excuse me, any of those people that have connections to those players. It's just, you can't talk to, to, to those players um, if they're not in the transfer portal. So that's what we're sort of meaning when we're talking about having some type of preparation you know, before guys actually are officially uh, publicly in the portal, because, you know, those guys, a lot of the top guys are in there for, you know, a couple of days and then they're gone. It's like, wow, that was a quick decision. Didn't take any visits like because those discussions had already been going on and they already have pre existing relationships with the schools that they're going to. Um, in terms of the second question, where there'll be top players that just get into the porthole just to kind of see what's happening with NIL. I think we've already seen that. The question is, are we going to see more of that? Um, you know, we saw that, I think, with Amarius Mims, the offensive lineman from Georgia, who we've mentioned a couple times on the podcast, a former five-star offensive lineman that uh, got into the porthole for Georgia last spring. And he was one of those guys that was a, a post, a spring ball guy, a former five-star offensive tackle, and a guy that everybody was like, okay, this is a good player. This is a guy, he hasn't played a whole lot. But he was raw coming out of high school, and he's only going to be a sophomore, and he hasn't had any major injuries. He becomes, you know, a, a five-star guy in the portal, just like he was a five-star guy out of high school. So Florida State's making their move. Miami's making their move. Everybody's like, okay, this dude's, this dude is, is you know, going to go to Florida State's going to go to Miami. There was a lot of reports. I think there was actually a report from one of the websites. It was not 24-7, but it was one of the websites that actually put out there that he was committed to Florida State and they thought he was going to Florida State. Over, you know, it's about a month goes by and he ends up just deciding to stay at Georgia. And this, again, goes back to what I was saying with Georgia, Alabama. The rich are getting richer with the transfer portal. They're not letting their guys go that they really want. The guys that are transferring out of the schools, most of those guys are guys that are like, okay, we don't think that they can contribute to our football program. The guys that are just second string guys and maybe are not getting a lot of time, they're going to make some NIL deals for those guys. They're going to get their boosters involved and say, listen, we need to supplement this guy a little more. We need to give him a little more to stay here and, and show him that the grass is not green on the other side and convince him that he'll play eventually. And while he's not playing, he'll be taken care of financially. And that, I think, is what's kind of going on. So retention is still a huge part of NIL. And that's going to be big for the big time programs. You don't want your top players getting pilfered. You know, you, you can't you can't become a farm system for another program. So you got to take care of those guys. And that's really what 
SBR was all about, Student Body Right, the Booster Run Collective, which unfortunately is dissolved now. But that's something that USC is going to have to be on top of too. The NIL deals, the endorsement deals that they have with their players, um, you, you know, you 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 gotta you gotta make good on those and make sure those guys are happy. And if those guys are happy, then you don't have to worry about losing those those second team players and those third team players. Uh, but you get a guy that uh, feels like, eh, you know what, man, I think I could make more here. You know, I could get more playing time. I know that. And, and you get an Amarius Mims type of level player that, you know, dips his dips his head into the portal, and everybody kind of uh, shows you what the market value is for him. Market value, indeed. Uh, Gerard, thank you for breaking that down because I was in no position to talk about any of that. I had to leave it to you, the GOAT. Well, NIL, again, we, we talk about this. We, we, this is unprecedented. You know, we're kind of uh, week to week, month to month, kind of seeing how this plays out, how impactful it is in recruiting. We saw the early summertime commitments and, you know, people behind the scenes are saying, hey, these guys have financial deals and contracts. They're not going to decommit from those contracts. Lo and behold, we've seen some <laughs> decommitments already. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, we're going to see, uh, you know, how this cycle compares with last cycle. And, you know, you just start to get a little bit of a pattern. But until, you know, we have experienced all of this and, and these new portal windows and how they conflict and how schools negotiate them along with recruiting high school kids, it's all it's all up in the air. It's all new. And so, um, you know, we're going to see what happens here in the next month or so. Uh, right up until Christmas, because, you know, the last uh, day of the early signing period, I believe, is the 23rd. So there you go. 23rd, baby. Now, Gerard, this is going to end our show, a very long show. And I hope this can bring you some joy this week uh, if you're listening to a Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Gerard, before we get out of here, can you just give me your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, man. You, it, it just depends. Um I didn't expect this to, to I, I, I know like I was gonna have some quick answer for you. I mean you you know I don't I I don't have a clear cut favorite. I would say oh, that you yeah. know my mom makes some killer yams where she whips them up and you know she does the brown sugar and all that stuff. And that, like I said, it's kind of a dessert, but it is something that I mean I only have during Thanksgiving, so I do look forward to it. And I'm a Hell stuffing yeah. guy too. Good, a good stuffing. Hell yeah. Yeah, the family gets a little more experimental with stuffing. So from year to year, sometimes it's like, oh, man, sometimes it's like, eh. So I don't know. They keep me on my toes with the stuffing. But, yeah, stuffing goes, but stuff goes a long way, man. Like stuffing sandwiches. And, like, I'll be eating stuffing for the next two months. <laughs> there you go. I, I love it. I make a chorizo stuffing. So got to keep Ooh. the cilantro Ooh. boy uh, theme going this Thanksgiving. So that'll be on my so menu. Yeah, what he's low-key told us during this is that, you know, he, he likes to cook. And what do you, so what is what is going to be you and your brother's uh, move in terms of uh, the cooking, the, the turkey? Is it going to be fried? Is it going to be, you know, you're going to do the air fryer? Are you going to do, you know, what are you, you going to do? You're going to barbecue it, smoke it. I, you know, everybody's got their different. Yeah, I'm keeping it pretty standard this year. I did a dry brine uh last year i think it was a lot of hassle but it turned out good but i just didn't have the yeah. time this year you know usc sucked last year so i was like uh who cares but they're good now lots going on so don't have didn't have a, the same amount of time to do that but i got a turkey that was already kind of marinated it's been marinating for a couple of days now so i'm just going to do a standard 
uh, roasted in the oven kind of deal and focus on preparing all the other sides. So yeah, just a simple oven cook for me, but it is, you know, it's been marinating in some herbs and uh, spices. So I think it'll kick up the flavor a little bit. I'm not an air yeah, fryer done, like, we, uh, like like uh, Ryan does or yeah, deep fryer. We, I, I remember we had one fried turkey uh, and we've gone with brining for the last few years and they've usually been pretty damn good. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, you know, honestly, I, I'm so kind of out of the loop right now with like Thanksgiving and everything else. Uh, it's, it's like, it's just recruiting and football and this crazy run that USC has been on and just, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's getting borderline shocking here that, uh, Lincoln Riley has been able to do what he's done thus far and how far the program, I mean, Chris, this, this is a team that gave up 60 points at home to UCLA mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. and was blown out by multiple teams. And it's just, I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that, uh, I mean, we felt like everybody always talked about, oh, it's a six year thing and USC so far away. And I was always, uh, you know, didn't, didn't agree with that take, but certainly two to three years I was, uh, I was on that, I was on that, that uh that bandwagon of people saying you know you you gotta be patient and it's gonna take some time and 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 it's still you know you've got Notre Dame here this is the you know the first team they've played that has actual college football playoff level talent on it right I mean they've still got players on that that roster that were in the college football playoff two years ago so this is a little bit of a different animal that they're playing this year I know Notre Dame hasn't had a great year but it's it's a little different um team in terms of you know, the physicality and the athletes that they're going to be playing. And then they're going to play Oregon. And Oregon's been uh, very successful, obviously. So, the, you know, they could – the two best teams that they've seen all year could be the new – you know, the two teams that they play in the next two games. So, you know, we, we, we still, again, have to sort of temper expectations. I mean, they've been above and beyond, in my opinion, expectations. And so um, that has, in terms of momentum, when they've had great momentum on the field, it's, uh, you know, usually been very good on the recruiting trail. Couldn't have said it any better myself. And only you could take a question about Thanksgiving sides and turn it back into a breakdown of USC and where their season's at right now and Notre Dame. So I applaud you, Gerard. So Or once a, take a breakdown of Notre Dame and USC season and turn it into Thanksgiving dinner time. Yeah, you would have done either. You could have done either way. You could have flip-flopped yep. it. doesn't matter. That's how talented you are. So once again, happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners, including the Filthy Casuals. Make sure if you're interested, and why wouldn't you be, sign up for USCfootball.com. You could do a dollar for a month, or you can do 75% off an annual membership. That's a whole year for for 75% off. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. You can join us on the P and get to bug Gerard even more on the message boards. And once again, thank you to all of you guys for listening and making this show so popular. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will catch you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 